Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Hey, Miguel Iterate, back here on the Lights Out podcast. The MMA detective is here. Chris, the Chris's, Chris Lytle and Chris Brennan are waiting in the winds. Chris Lytle, obviously co-hosting. It's his podcast. Chris Brennan, part three, Mike, with the West Side Strangler. What's, where are we? What, what do we got? <laughs> All right. So in essence, you know there's going to be mayhem. If Chris Brennan's involved in something without a question of a doubt, there's going to be some chaos. But this episode is also going to bring in elements of murder. So it's going to be this. This is one of those where um, Chris is just like Chris Brennan's like a magnet for finding things. And I think based on just how disciplined he is as an individual is the reason where he's on like this side of the newspaper rather than reading about himself. You know, because I think you, know, you add alcohol or drugs to that mix. Chris Brennan could easily be on the other side of that newspaper where we're reading about him rather than kind of talking to him. Yeah, no, I know. I know what you're referring to because, you know, California got to be a little bit of a wild scene, almost like a dangerous scene at one point there with like, yeah. you know, with, with uh, just, you know, personalities and, and, and people having a trouble fitting in and stuff. So Chris is going to help us fill in on some of that. And I'm, you know, very interesting to hear more on, you know, Rafael Torrey and some of that stuff. Just yeah, Strevan. Yeah, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, um, if you guys go to betdsi.eu, uh, up to a thousand deposit, up to a thousand dollars, fifty percent will be credited to your account by using the promo code Lights Out. Please do that. I'm also pleased to announce that Abu Dhabi Jiu Jitsu Pro is coming to Orlando. At the time of this recording, I don't have everything set. By the time it's released, I will be. I'll be hosting it. Abu Dhabi Jiu-Jitsu Pro, please register at Smooth Cap. If you know anybody that, that does, you know, jits or, you know, likes the uh, jiu-jitsu game, please stop by, say hello. So, Miguel, without further ado, let's actually we get this uh, episode rolling. Chris Brennan. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Lifestyle Podcast. So you guys are killing it for us. Thank you so much. Uh, all the like, the love you guys are giving us. Like and share and subscribe. So keep doing that. Um, man, this is a, this is a, probably a first sport, but we just uh, – you, you can tell we can't get enough of this guy. We just keep bringing him back. Hopefully he doesn't mind as much as uh, – you know, we just like uh, everything he has to say. Chris Brennan, once again, how you doing, brother? Awesome, man. Thank you so much. I, I enjoy it for sure. Good, a lot of good. reminiscing. <laughs> can't seem to get this guy done it's like you know it's like oh shit we only got like two years done every time we take so <laughs> yeah i we're on three right now and i feel like we've got like four more <laughs> yeah so, this is gonna yeah. definitely be fun mike where we leave off well we have I, i've stated publicly before that if there's ever a netflix series that needs to be done this is it because there's so many twists and turns and it you know it country hops as well um, yeah but you gotta be careful they might do they might pull a pride on them and give it to Shannon Rich instead. <laughs> <laughs> they did do that. They did do that. So um, May 2nd, 2003, Hitman fighting um, promotion. It was Tito yeah. Ortiz's event. 
Who who else was was the promoter with Tito? It was Tito and somebody else? I didn't honestly looking back. I didn't know it was uh, it was Tito, but I do know like Tiki and I think those guys did have something to do with it. And then my affiliation with Dan from Hitman that kind of caused some stuff because he actually owned Hitman Fight Gear, and then they started this Hitman. Actually, Paul Herrera. Paul Herrera is who Paul I was Herrera. talking to about the uh, about the the fight and the event itself. And I was confused if it was going to be a real fight or if it wasn't going to be a fight, if it was filming for a movie. Like they they started changing the rules as as the days came, and I only uh, heard about it. You know, it only been brought up to me a short time before, week two weeks. You know, um, and then I was offered a fight with Robert Emerson who had trained at my gym a little bit and I had trained with him at Marco's gym uh, one time. And so again, uh, I, I wasn't sure until like the week or two, but a week before, I think if the fights were real, because well, what, what uh, made you think that they weren't going to be real? Well, they brought it to our attention that like there was, it was because of where they were having it and, and who was going to be there that, they either might not be real or we might have to play it off as it's not real and it, and it is real. And uh, I believe that was the, the deal was the fights end up being real, but they had to act like they were, were fake fights for a, a movie or for, a, for something. I don't know that there was shit behind it, but... Um, Can you imagine that? I guess no, no, we've, we've heard this story heard before, before, though. Yeah, yeah we've heard this story before, owner. though. You know, they, they present the fighters basically have between them and a promotion and themselves a verbal agreement and then a fake contract is presented to whatever commission or whatever. Yeah. Is that the only way that this event could take place? That's what that's what was that's what was told to the fighters. That's so, I can't so even we, have that conversation. Uh, Jamie, yeah. Jamie Levine handed in a list of the fights with the winners to the boxing commission and then the boxing commission was like not, not everybody <laughs> like, I don't know what up, it says yeah. on my record of how I lost, but I lost because I didn't come back out for the second round because I was exhausted. Like I didn't take him seriously at all because I kind of didn't have a hard time with him in training. You know, the two times we did train and I, I didn't take him serious in the middle of all that. Me and Marco had our falling out. He was at Marco's now. So Marco was in his corner and uh, I, I, when was it? October? It was uh, May 2nd, 2003. Oh, okay. So, uh, yes. So, May 2nd. I We ended up leaving from that fight and went straight to Vegas uh, for Supercross because a lot of my friends were in the Supercross deal. But, yeah, I just didn't take the fight seriously, so I didn't train for it. And we went at it hard the first round, and I was literally purple. I was so exhausted, man. Um and, and realize at the time that, oh, it, it, they're actually fighting. Um, and I didn't, and it was a shitty move on my part, a bitch move on my part, because I didn't go back out for the second round because I did not want to give Marco the satisfaction of having this dude finish me. And I was exhausted. <laughs> so I just left um, and went to Vegas. But Robert, he was, he was very good, and he, and he continued to get better. I don't know if you've ever trained with anybody, Chris, that when they hit you, you don't get dizzy. You're like, ow, ow. Like, it felt like he was throwing rocks at my head. All I could feel was knuckles pop, 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 pop. And I was like, man, what the hell? And, and it was not like getting rocked. I was just like, it was annoying as shit, but he did hit hard. Um, and, and yeah, that was that was that night. So I, I end up walking out of the cage, walking over and getting my, my check, I believe. 
and I went to I went straight to Vegas from there. That move on my part should have fought, should have finished the fight. Whether I, I won or lost, I should have finished. But I was, I was just exhausted and didn't want to give Marco the satisfaction. Man, you know, she, though, I, I can say I remember I fought <laughs> once, very similar situation where I didn't, my opponent back got hurt or something. And I didn't think I was fighting. So I'm there anyways. WC is like, whatever. And then the day before, they said, we got you an opponent. I'm like, okay. And I looked and eh, didn't take it very serious. And then, yeah, that fight was way tougher than I thought. He got to the last round. I remember in the third, start of the third round, I go to there and I was like, I don't have anything left. Like, what? Like, I don't have anything left. People don't really understand your fight or your training, but that last, that whole, you have to peak at the right time. It used to be yeah. like when I was young, I just fought and I, I'd take a fight. But then after the, the, as the sport grew and I got bigger or, or I got older, you have, to, you have to set up a six-week camp and you have to peak right at the right time and then you come down. If you don't have that peak, you're in trouble. You know what I mean? So that's what happened to me in that fight. You got that third round. I had nothing left. You know what I mean? So I know what you're talking about. That exhaustion, there's nothing you can do. And it's the worst feeling in the world, in my opinion. And I, I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, I'm not doing that. You had two more rounds. There's no way you could have finished it. I mean, you could have held on maybe and got your ass beat for two rounds. But, yeah, I, I can I, – anybody who's ever done it says a bitch move. But I understand, man. You're like, I'm not letting this guy out like this. So I'm quitting. Man, that's yeah. the worst feeling in the world to – Terrible. The mental preparation, the the mind game that people don't understand. You once you've went to where you peak and you know how to do that. If you didn't do it that time, you're in trouble, and you know it. Oh, yeah. and I, I get it, man. That's weird. And Emerson too. Emerson. The thing is, is he's he's a guy whose entire career is underestimated too. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I'm not saying you you probably you did that, but like I'm looking oh, at the record because I'm looking <laughs> at the record and. I think before that, they've taken it off here. I don't know why it's not on there anymore, but he had a win over Aaron Riley, who's one of our guys. Oof. So, like, we, we already knew that, that that was like a, a Pat Healy type or like a secret weapon type of guy like yeah. a guy you don't want to mess with, you know? Right. So, Emerson, it says you lost by uh, Achilles lock, which means they turned in the results ahead of time. Right. To the commission, right. which is friggin' bonkers. The last Did you guys also – was submission. <laughs> One more time. The last thing he was going to beat me by was a submission. For sure. Did you, uh, did you guys almost also have a street fight prior to this? So I don't, I don't think me and him did. Maybe we did, but there was a time where Eric Apple, I don't know if you guys know who Eric Apple is. Of course. I did. Okay. So Eric Apple was a young punk kid in, in Aliso Viejo, Dana Point area. And me and my buddy Jeremy would, you know, we hung out down there and knew who they were. They, they ran with a, a whole group of guys, um, Robert, um, um, ah, there's a bunch of them, but they called themselves the Lords, the Lords. Well, me and my brothers were at the beach one day and it was four of us. And my brothers are young, like 11, 12, 14. Oh. And, and I had just, I had just fought in the UFC against Pat and, uh, up above us, guys start throwing water balloons down on us and, and hitting us. I told them knock it off, and they kept doing it. And then I realized who it was. So I get up, and I go up there with my brothers, and it's Eric and, and probably 20, 25 guys, and it's, and it's the four of us. And they start talking shit. Oh, you lost in the finals of the UFC, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, bro, the finals? Like, <laughs> that's, not a, that's not something to rip on me for, right? So we get into an argument and Eric reaches across and my brother reaches in and pushes someone. 
and all the lifeguards separate it and it, it you know it uh doesn't happen they talk so much trash we left and i went back to my gym and i called everybody and like that's where mauricio ryan parker um all of the guys from hickson's and all of the guys from hoises that were my friends and all of the guys from my gym that were my friends and we went back to that beach and like I think the next day or, or two days later with about 30 guys and we came down this hill and there's a, there's a snack bar at the bottom and they all hang out on the beach side of the snack bar. So we came down and separated about 15 and 15 on each side and came from both sides and dude, we brawled like just a freaking scrap happened. And it must've been expected because within 10 seconds there were cops on us and uh, a cop jumped on my buddy Jeremy's back and he whipped him forward and flipped him onto his back, flipped the cop onto his back. And like midway through the air, I'm like, it's a cop, it's a cop, it's a cop. And and uh, so he went to jail. Eric, I believe, went to jail. And uh, we, we I, I none, no one else went to jail but those guys. They knew me by name. So like someone had to have called, you know, ahead of time. They're like, Chris, get your guys, control your guys. So I separated everybody and all was over and we left. Later on, me and Jeremy see Eric on the street and cut him off and get him out of the car. And we end up in an altercation, but didn't end up fighting. And I believe that was the last of all the, the altercations. It was shit talking and stuff, but no other fights happened. And then Eric, and Eric was young. He was a young, rich kid driving this badass pre-runner truck. And, and we just, uh, from that point on, it was like a lot of trash talk. Marco opened his gym, like I said before, like, maybe two miles, three miles from my gym. So all of the people knew each other at both gyms. And so it kind of went on for a little while, but then it, it, it calmed down. Me and Eric are cool now. Um, I believe me and Robert are cool now. I, I, to be honest, I think he's teaching at the lab where uh, we're actually going to train with Lucas when we go out to Arizona for his fight uh, at the end of January. But John, John Crouch is the guy that came up with me at the Gracie Academy, and he owns the lab. And, and I believe Robert is training as a, as a coach there it's wild <clears throat> it's wild i can too. see eric uh very outspoken at times for sure Me? eric apple oh yeah 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 he's another guy that knows everybody right like i i switched and started training a bunch of motocross guys he knew everybody in the motocross here i started hanging out with brian vegan that owned metal militia and and he knew those guys like everywhere i went eric knew guys <laughs> Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember talking to him, and I felt like he's had about nine careers. I'm like, and then I used to be a race car driver, and then I was in NASA for a while, and that's everything I was talking <laughs> about. He used to do. I was like, I don't know how possible this is. <laughs> yeah. So, I knew well, a little bit of controversy. Yeah. Uh, around 2003, obviously, you've got your gym in California still, and um, Gerald Strevent and Rafael Tori end up in what later culminates into a murder for hire of which Raphael Torrey completes the act. Um, do you remember like either of those two working out in your gym? Oh yeah. Gerald was okay. a student of mine until he moved to, to LA to train with Eddie. Um, I think what about Raphael Torrey? Raphael came and trained at my grand opening at my gym one time and I rolled with him in front of everybody and he, he wasn't good and he had claimed to be a black belt his dad was a brazilian his name ended up ralph torres wasn't ralph rafael torre um 
And uh, and and that was the only time I trained with him. I knew him through through Daryl, the announcer at KKH. And he tried to affiliate himself with me. He tried to tell people that he was affiliated with me and, and he was not. And so we had that conversation. But the whole thing that came about between those two, that's a crazy, crazy story. Crazy. Well, I, they're related. Am I correct? They are. Okay. Cousins. I was an uncle yeah. or cousin. <clears throat> so how, like, what... What do you recall about the Tory situation with the affair and things of that nature? Do you do you remember any of that? Oh, by very well. I, can, um, can I, let me let me see if I can hear you one thing about Raphael. I'd like to know. It's like guys like yourself. Like once you're on the mat, how am I going to fool you? You know what I mean? It's like I'm not fooling Chris Lytle if I get on the mat with him. It's going to be about three seconds. How did this guy retain credibility? He like didn't after, train. He didn't train with very many people. Um, did he ask you as, to keep it quiet? Like, like, yeah, like, don't tell people I suck. Like, literally, well, like <laughs> before we rolled, like there was a lot of people there. It was a grand opening of my gym. There was a lot of people there. All the guys from Millennia were there, you know. Um, and we're in the we're in the cage, and he goes, "Hey, hey, just just go easy, you know, just go easy." And I was like, "What do you mean? Let's just roll." And, and he goes, "Okay." He goes, "But I'll I'll, I'll just go easy." <laughs> so I was like, "All right." And and yeah, yeah. He, Thank God he went easy on you. He might have been a he might have been a blue belt. Um, but yeah, he wasn't he wasn't very skilled at all. So, what do you recall about the relationship that he had uh, that obviously kind of wound him up in prison? So, I want to say he owed Gerald seven grand, and I don't know, I don't remember why, but he owed Gerald seven thousand dollars. That's where it all started. Me and Gerald leave to Big Bear to go get ready for whoever my fight was around that time uh, because the murder happened while we were in Big Bear getting ready for my fight. So it had to happen within two weeks before the time I fought. So uh, we're in Big Bear and we're sitting down to eat dinner and Gerald didn't have a phone and my phone rings and it's Raphael. He asks for Gerald. So I give it to Gerald. And, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Let's back up. A week before that, before we left, Raphael offers Gerald $10,000 to kill this guy who has a million dollar life, uh, life insurance policy because he's, he's hooking up with this guy's wife. And Gerald tells me that <clears throat> he tells me that. And I was like, cause Gerald was a sniper in the Marine Corps. And, and, uh, they, he offered him that and Gerald's like, no, hell no, you know, no, no, no. <laughs> so like, okay. So that's out of mind. We go to big bear. And he calls, gets Gerald on the phone, and Gerald goes, what? And he goes, hold on. And he puts the phone to my ear, and, and Raphael says, man, you wouldn't believe it. They just found the dude dead, you know, in his car. And uh, I was like, and, I, and he took the phone back. That's literally all he said. And he finishes the conversation with Gerald, and Gerald's like, bro, he had to have killed him. He had to have killed him. You know, he goes, uh, they didn't just find him dead in, in his car. And... So we finish my camp, do the fight, come back. Gerald goes and sees him, finds out that, that he did kill him. <laughs> and he gets away with it. He gets away with it. It's a couple of years, maybe maybe three, but at least two years go by. And, and I could be wrong on the time, but I believe it's at least that long. But he, he's, he gets away with it. And Gerald hits up Raphael and says, hey, I want my seven grand. 
And he says, I don't have it. He goes, if you don't pay me by the end of the week, I'm going to tell on you. I'm going to turn you in. I mean, at that point, dude, I robbed the bank to get the seven grand, but he didn't give him the seven grand. And Gerald tells on him. So sure enough, he gets arrested. Um, he had driven around for two days with the guy in the car after he killed him. He just, he got, he talked him into training with him and then he choked him until he was dead. And, and then, what? yeah, and then drove around with him in, the, in his car for a couple of days and then left. So since he, he wasn't technically jail. very good, it took him 35 minutes to kill the guy with a choke. Did it really? It's a bad joke. It's a bad joke. <laughs> but did it? Is that no, true? no, no, I'm just oh, kidding. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway. So the guy's dead. I'm sorry. He gets away with it. I'm mind blown. He's a piece of shit. You know, whatever. So was he back at your gym after this or no? No. Gerald was, yes. Raphael, no. He so, only so came to my gym once or twice. So, so all the time you said that it was two years and, and that he was like li- literally free. That was the time where he was like on his rise as an MMA uh, journalist, reporter kind of thing and working for the Abu Dhabi Combat Club. And Correct. that sort of stuff. Correct. Okay. Fascinating. How'd you feel? Yeah. Like, again, he competed in Abu Dhabi 98. Like, he, like, this was, yes, in the first Abu Dhabi tournament, he actually competed over there. <laughs> and wow. he went? Ridiculous as that sounds. Uh, no, no he, got, he got trounced the first round. But, <laughs> I mean, they had a few ham and eggers the first year, but. Yeah. But he got in. So, I mean, that's stunning to me. Yeah. So. Obviously, I'm not going to say anything. If you, you kill somebody, I'm going to help. Oh, you don't even know. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know if he did or didn't, but Gerald's you know. pretty sure he did. You know, but I'm like, yeah. So then Gerald turns him in. He gets arrested. He goes to jail. Well, I end up getting called because it was said on my phone and it was said to me once. Gerald told them that just so he would have another witness. Well, court finally comes around and me. And Eddie and Joe Rogan sit in a room for days waiting for our time to go on the stand. And we got subpoenaed to be on the stand and have to testify. Why would so they get subpoenaed? They Gerald was friends with them. So he had to have said that he had to have told them as well. So all three of us sat in a room waiting to, to get put on the stand. It was a, a, a hilarious room, like for, for days at a time. We're in there for hours. And uh, it, it was funny. But they finally called me to the stand, man. And I'm like, yes, he called and said, you wouldn't believe it, but they found the guy dead. And they said, you heard that? And I said, yes. And they said, what else do you hear? I'm like, that's all I heard. And they said, and then what did Gerald tell you? I was like, Gerald said he killed him. Gerald said that Raphael killed him, but I don't know that he did. And I don't know that Gerald knows that he did. Only Raphael, you know, Gerald said that Raphael told him he did. Yeah. So he ends up, getting convicted, gets life or whatever in prison, and goes away. Years later, Gerald gets in a car accident and gets out of the car, gets an altercation, shoots and kills the guy. Okay, Gerald, Gerald can talk his way out of anything. Anything. He gets arrested. Goes to jail. Well, hold hold on. Hold on. You gotta hit mute, Chris. It's not yeah, me. Okay. No. It's me. Oh. Go ahead. He uh, he gets arrested, goes to jail, serves a few years, and has a a uh, a retrial. Has something happen, and ends up getting out of getting released from from jail. 
has his attorney or whatever, whatever the case was. I don't know what the facts were, but he ends up getting released from jail. Short time after he gets released from jail, he he opens a gym or he's at a gym teaching and supposedly smacked a girl on the butt or something that was a, a minor. He's back in jail. And I don't know the details. Uh, I, I believe I, I spoke to him once right after the, the rampage or, or right after the uh, Antonio McKee said he was going to kill me podcast and had a conversation with him for a second. And that was the first time I talked to him in 15 years. And uh, he said he didn't do it. And that's why he's back out again. So he got released again after getting convicted and uh, got it reversed. Yeah, now he's out doing his thing. So I don't, I don't know um, what the facts are about either of those cases. Um, I believe he had said that the guy in the car accident reached into Gerald's car to get Gerald's gun, and Gerald took his gun and shot him. So I don't know how it all played out. I hadn't talked to him in years and years before that. Yeah, he called uh, after you know the guy that hooked us up, Brian Garrity. Um, right. And in essence... First and foremost, man, police overreach is horrible. It is. I mean, it's just undercharging is just as bad as overcharging. Like we've got people that have shot other people on the street here in Chicago on house arrest. Like both of them are bad. And the way Gerald broke it down to me, and I don't know, I didn't read any court papers. He's not sent to me anything. Um, it sounded from his side, his point of view, that it was an overreach. And for it to get overturned by the, the like the, the state's Supreme Court, that costs a shitload of money. That guy, right. like you said, he can talk his way out of a lot of situations. Yeah. To be freed from prison due to an overruling by the, the Supreme Court, he's got two options. Go in, head in, and fight it, or wait for the you know, statute of limitations to come up. And if this, he'd be to let the statute of limitations kind of expire before he pursues it. It's, uh, but it's a shame. Either way, it's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, not easy. You know how much of a small world that is Rafael Tory lost to Bo Hirschberger in Abu Dhabi, Chris? Oh, really? I think, uh, I think Chris's first uh, official MMA Chris fight was, was, yeah, yeah. Lytle's was, uh, was Bo Hirschberger. Yeah, Most that's stuff. that's not my first fight, but that was the first one on record now, yeah. Why are you guys in the same weight class? Those we are big weren't. boys. <laughs> He's okay. bigger than me. Yeah, it was yeah. back in uh, 1999, and, uh, you know, there was no real rules back then. You could, For some reason, there was a, a, a neutral ground fight in Muncie, Indiana. I, I don't know how it <laughs> happened. So I remember Jason Gatsy got a hold of me. He goes, you're fighting a guy named Bo Hirschberg. He, uh, he beat Olog in a – in Abu Dhabi, you'll beat him. I was like, all right, you know, I trusted Jason. So <laughs> I beat him too, so it worked out. I don't know. Oh, nice. So, so Chris Brennan, when Raphael Torrey is jumping from social scene to social scene, because like that guy, in essence, like whatever cool crowd in MMA or jujitsu there was, he was kind of ushered in as one of the guys. Did you ever like? Was did it ever surprise you to to kind of see how accepted he was by legitimate people within the industry? I mean, it was it was funny. It was we we laughed a lot at my gym about it because the guy was like illegitimate at everything, and he was just he was he had everyone convinced. He had everyone convinced that he was the guy. 
and it was hilarious. It was, there are a lot of people like that, man. There are a lot of people like that. Well, and your social media, okay, on our podcast, some of the things that I've read on your social media are kind of echoed here because, like, right around this time, the most hilarious thing that you could run into was an American person that maybe has got two months of jujitsu practice, and all of a sudden they're having trouble with the English language because, you know, <laughs> jujitsu has just warped their minds so much that, you know, they think that they're from Brazil. And, you know, Rafael Torre kind of like took this to almost an extreme that uh, many people just couldn't fathom. We said he was from Brazil, but he wasn't. He no, everyone is from Brazil. It's like he Puerto was. Rican or something, right? Yeah, I don't even, I don't even know. His name was Ralph Torres. <laughs> no, I, 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 Chris, thank you very much. You know, I, I, I shouldn't even open my mouth, but his name is actually Miguel Raf, Rafael Torres or whatever oh, it is. Is it? It's Miguel is his real first name. Yeah, unfortunately. I wouldn't have he changed his it. name once he went to prison. After he got convicted and went to jail, <laughs> he changed his name because that's what's important. You know, he needs to be Rafael Torre. Yeah. So you mentioned Big Bear. You're up there with Gerald Strevin. And July 24, 2003, Jason San Louis, Adrenaline Fighting Championship in Canada. Why don't you walk us through it? So I was actually... Uh, Pete Spratt was with me too. That was one of the earlier fights that wow. I started training with Pete. I brought Pete in to, to Big Bear to all my fights moving forward after that as my striking coach. And uh, we went to Canada. Um, it was actually a friend of mine who, who set that fight up, who, who, who had uh, uh, been the promoter for this event. And I knew Jason was tough. He had actually knocked out David Loazzo, who actually yes. was really tough at the time and had some nasty knees. And this guy, Jason, 6'2 six, six or 6'3, and uh, I'm 5'8, you know, so he was real long, good striking. And um, this was for some belt up there, Adrenaline FC or something like that, Adrenaline. And uh, he, he put the belt on for our picture the day before. And and there was no there was no uh, champion. It was for a vacant belt. It was their first event. And he puts the belt on, and and then they go to hand it to me. I, like, I don't want to touch it. Like I'm not going to touch it till it's mine. And uh, so we did our thing. You know, he was long. He he. I, I got stuck on a shot, and and uh, he was he started to throw knees, and I was so like all in my head was he knocked out Lawazo with with knees, and, and Lawazo's got great knees. So I you know I scrambled, broke free. Kicked his leg, shot a double, took him down. As soon as I hit the ground, his coach screams, don't let him pass your guard. And within four seconds, I was passing our Bardem within, you know, a couple seconds after. I was real fast. Cool, cool finish. Um, but, yeah, he's a tough guy. He's long and, and rangy. And, and uh, I fought three or four guys who were like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, in, in my career. And it was, you know, that's what made me originally try to go down to 55, just because they were, weren't quite as long. But – it was it was kind of more difficult for me to, to make that weight. Yeah, Jason uh, was a standout fighter. He was also like on a seven fight win streak at that point. Yeah, so um, it was a pretty significant bout. Had he won, I'm assuming he would have got, got would have gotten called to the big show. Probably, yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. So you take a little bit of time off, September 26, 2003. You're cornering at UFC 44, Gerald Strebent. Versus Josh Thompson. 
this is a hard fight for me to talk about because I just talked to Gerald, you know, a few months ago, and and I'm sure he's going to call me back after this. But uh, I was originally not scheduled to be in his corner. He had already left my gym. He had gone up to Eddie's. He was training with Eddie and Joe. And Joe, I'm sure, is the one that got him into the UFC. And uh, he got a fight with Josh Thompson. And the day before the fight, he called me and was freaking out about the fight and uh, wanted me to come there and corner him. So I'm a nice guy. I get in my car. I drive to Vegas uh, to corner him. And obviously, it wasn't like it is now commission-wise because I was able to walk in and corner him at the fight without any issue. And uh, before we walked out of his hotel room, he starts to freak out and wants me to fight. And and he, he's like, replace me, replace me. You know, I don't want to, I don't want the fight. And, and he had kind of, you know, jumped in a little, little over his head with this fight. Josh Thompson's a friggin' stud. And uh, I, I was like, I don't, I don't think it works that way. <laughs> like, Josh was supposed to fight a couple times as it was, but that wasn't one of them. Like, it, I, I don't think that. I, and I told him, like, bro, I can't, I can't just replace you. It's not how it works. I didn't even make weight. You didn't even. <laughs> Yeah. It actually really just <laughs> depends on the promoter, actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was in the UFC at the time. I don't yeah. think he probably could have pulled it off. All right. All right. We get to the event. Jamie and... Levine or Brad Kohler and you're in. For yeah. sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, the fight happens. Josh takes him down, and Gerald instantly goes to rubber guard and starts trying some rubber guard stuff. Josh shimmies out of it, gets out of it. It's Gerald once, and then Gerald starts to kind of get up and, and run to the other side of the cage to, like, uh, to get away, to reface him or something. And Josh swings this monster punch, and uh, Gerald, Gerald's knocked out, and the fight's over. <laughs> they asked Josh after the fight, you know, how about that huge right hand that landed? He goes, it didn't land. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he said that in the arena. And, and everyone's like, whoa. And I was like, and I couldn't tell if it did or didn't, but I was like, that did that land? And uh, they, the Josh had, you know, I'm friends with Josh now. And he's like, no, it, it didn't. And uh, Wait, did you so, hit his shoulder? Um, maybe. It made a sound. Did it? Yeah. I don't know. I, I've never seen it since that night. Um, but I just, it was, uh, you know, he, he just kind of freaked out. He was he jumping over his head. And he didn't love fighting anyway. You know, he wasn't a he wasn't a, a huge fan of it. But he had a couple decent wins and and, uh, and got to the UFC. You know, you know, Chris, it's amazing to me when you you really find out there's a lot of fighters, high level fighters, who kind of freak out before their fight sometimes. And we've talked about it. I know, like Saint Pierre's not the confident guy you might think. There's there's several fighters like talk about. Vitor Belfort before he went across and knocked Vandalay out, you know, that, he didn't want to go out there. Huh? He was crying in the back. Yeah. I mean, people, people have no idea the pressure involved with being right before, you know, when you're in that locker room, that's the worst time of the world, man. I mean, the, yeah. the, the head games that go on there are real, man. And people, a lot of people can't deal with that. It's hard to not think of all the different ways you can lose instead <laughs> of all the different ways you can win. You know, there's a lot of, battling that going goes on before the fight i i was telling you guys in my first on the first show i think and i was throwing up before they announced my name to antonio mckee and and uh i've done that uh, numerous times before fights 
second half of my career way more chill. You know, I was a lot more calm and, and enjoyed it a lot more. And I loved fighting too. I just, I was owning a gym and stuff. I was always just so paranoid to lose and mm -hmm. I had lost and it still didn't help me get over losing, you know? So it was, it was just a, a tough uh, mental game for a long time at the beginning for me. Well, you've been on both sides of the coin. You know, you obviously you've experienced the nerves and not a corner that's kind of going through that. What was Trevent like backstage? Like, you know, what were you doing as a coach to kind of make sure he made it to the cage? I mean, again, I wasn't even supposed to be his coach. Uh, <laughs> and, and I forget, I forget who was even in the corner. Eddie, Eddie could have been in the corner with us. Eddie, Eddie was doing uh, some sort of commentary, so he couldn't. Like Eddie okay. was kind of hyping him up saying Bangkok ready, things of that nature. Yeah. So I'm not sure who was with me in the corner. Um, yeah, I'm not, I don't remember that, but uh, yeah, I was, you know, I had a, I had that experience with a couple of guys. Um, Kawaii Kupahea, my, my heavyweight was really tough. He won an eight man tournament in one night for King of the cage, um, beat some good guys. He was very, very tough, but scared to death to fight. And I would have to convince him five seconds before the, when I'm hanging over the top of the cage that he was going to be okay, you know, and then he would go in and, and kill somebody, you know, or he'd lose, but he was very, very good and just had zero confidence. And, and Gerald was the same. He just, he, he didn't, he didn't want to fight. He just wanted to be a fighter, you know, and he was yeah. tough. He actually, I, I'd seen him get in some wars before, you know, he was, he was, had, had taken it before too. So I was like, I don't know. You know, and, and again, he was a sniper, so he had gone through all that stuff in the Marines. I figured he'd be, you know, mentally Met there, but, but fighting is different. Now, now, Chris, I'm sure you've had – I've had some guys who I've trained with who in the gym, you're like, this guy's going to be a top UFC fighter. And then they get in the cage, not so much. Do you think of anybody you've trained with him like, this guy's as good as it gets and never could translate it over? That, well, that the heavyweight was one of them. He was – he okay. was very, very good and just never was able to accomplish much. And uh, anytime he'd fight a Hawaiian, he was Hawaiian. And I guess he got bullied as a kid. Anytime he'd fight a Hawaiian, he'd be scared to death to, to fight them. <laughs> he fought Cabbage, you know, and beat the snot out of Cabbage and, and ended up losing. I, I think he lost the decision. They fell through a, his leg where the cage and the mat meet. His leg slid all the way out up to his groin. And we had to pull the fence open to let him get back in the cage. You know, uh, crazy stuff in that, that event. But, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of guys that are great in the gym and it doesn't translate. There's other guys that are just so-so in the gym that are just killers, you know, in the in the cage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Buck Greer, one of my fighters, was he was a force recon sniper also. And he was average in the gym, you know, he cruised in the gym, um, you know, get tapped by a lot, by a lot, a lot of guys. And then he would get in the cage and was just a monster. He's the one that lost a split decision to Dennis Holman. But he was so tough and so good in the cage. But everyone's different. You know, it's there's not a lot that are killers in both places. Yeah, Clay Guida, I'm told, kind of falls in that category. In the gym, you know, he's just somebody that puts a lot of work in, but, you know, doesn't excel very high. But once he's, you know, that, that cage door closes, he's a savage. Yeah, I had a couple guys that trained with Clay, and they're like, oh, yeah, I tapped him out. I tapped him out. I beat him. I was like, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> 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 I'm training. He would whoop your ass in the cage. <laughs> yeah. yeah like well, let me ask you. Go ahead. Go ahead I'm sorry, Mike. Another kind of royalty <clears throat> name that you brought up here, and this is the early part of him, is, is Eddie Bravo. 
Now you got Gerald Streben who went over there to Eddie's school. Now this is 2003. By now, he's actually done the deed and tapped Hoyler Gracie. So what did you think of before and after that of him? Did, did, did you, like when, like did he have respect before or was he just a brown belt under Jinjak Machado until he did that? He, he was good, you know, I, and I, I've never been a, a huge fan of, of his jiu-jitsu. Um, he's good. He's beaten some good guys. Um, I think he, and it might be because if I beat Hoyler, I would have gone on a run like you wouldn't believe afterwards. And he didn't get on the mat again to compete against anybody for 10 years. You know, he wanted to live off of that, build everything off of that. And that's respectable. That's not, that's not my way. Like if, if I beat him, I'm calling out Marcelo tomorrow, you know, like, I, I'm, and I might lose that fight, but, but I, I'm just always You're fighting. fighting. I'm all, yeah, I'm always trying to improve. always trying to get the best guy, the better guy. And, and he beat him and, and lived off of that for the rest of time until he, you know, went to a draw with him again the next time. But uh, it just, he, he was respected though. People knew he was good. You know, he, he competed a bit around that time. He's another guy kind of like Mark Lehman that was, was good, but didn't compete near as much as a jiu-jitsu career as he could have, you know, with, with the skills that he had. You know, <clears throat> I kind of look at it this way. I mean, obviously there's no arguing, you know, anything that you just said right now, but the smart thing for him to do is after that win, claimed an injury and went and got a huge payday, you know, not continued in the tournament, got right. a huge payday later on, but rather than really concentrate and compete, he concentrated on his business and obviously really grew up. His 10th planet is, uh, sure. you know, every major city has a 10th planet jujitsu. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad choice. He clearly did what was right for him and, and succeeded at it. It's just not the way I would have gone about it as for fighter mentality. Well, Chris, yeah. that's the difference right there is, you know, I had talked about this before. I mean, like fighter mentality, you have it or you don't. I think it's just different. And I'll be the first to admit, I've done a lot of things that are just 100% the wrong way, you know, stupidly. You know, I can't turn down fights. I can't do like, I just can't. But as I met, like either you got that fighter mentality or you don't. If you have it, I can't say, well, I'm going to concentrate on my business. You know, that's just not you yeah. can't think like I'm that. If that's like, I can't change who I am. You, you just can't do it. It's just not how it is. So I need people to help me do that type of stuff. But, I mean, if, if that – it tells me they're very highly skilled, but they just don't have – and there's nothing wrong with it. They have a business mindset. I'm proud of you. Good job. That's great. But they might not have that fighter mindset. Right. And you just got to understand the difference. You know what I mean? So you, it, it's funny. A lot of people like to pretend to be the fighters, and they're not – and vice right. versa, you get a lot of like, you know, Oscar De La Hoya, he's got these business. I'm like, he doesn't run no businesses. He just, he's a good fighter, not a great business guy. Say whatever he will, but you, right. you can't be good at everything, man. And, and don't try and confuse the two. We talked about uh, me challenging Eddie on the first one, right? Or the second one, one of those two? I think so. Mike, no, we didn't. I don't After recall that. Boiler the second time? No, I don't, I don't think recall so. that. No, we would have mentioned okay. that. So, so when he beat, when he went to the draw with Hoyler the second time, uh, right away. So, first of all, rewind. Nineteen ninety-seven. I took the gi off. I never put the gi back on. I opened a gym in nineteen ninety-eight. All no gi jiu-jitsu. I was the first one, you know, in the United States to have a no gi jiu-jitsu gym. 
that was that was an actual jujitsu gym, not catch wrestling or submission fight or anything. So I do that. I never put the gi back on. I get banned from all the Brazilians for a while. And uh, what was the reason for that? For which part? Me taking it off? No, you getting banned. <laughs> oh, because that's their selling point, right? You have to put the gi on to get good at jujitsu. It's impossible to get good without it, is what they're going to tell you. You know, so it's and, and it's uh, well, it's Luda Libre if it's no gi, right? And they don't want to admit that. But I, but I, <laughs> I stayed very strongly into the jujitsu principles as far as the technique and the 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 drilling and the you know positions over submissions and all that stuff. You know, I I, I taught. Uh, very strict so that it, it didn't stray away from that too much and so then comes along eddie you know years and years and years later with the gi off and joe rogan is there to to build him up right and to blow him up and, and make him popular and obviously the win as well over over hoiler but even joe made that even bigger for him you know with, with being his friend and getting the hookup at the ufc doing the door interviews or something like right before they walked out and all those things so he beats Hoyler. Stylistically, I'm a bad matchup for Eddie. Okay, the way I pass and the way I Kimura and the way I knee slice pass and everything, it's just a bad matchup stylistically for 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 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, period. And my guys, like when, when Gerald first left, uh, they came back and did a tournament and and Russ, Mira, and, and my guys uh, – Rami, a couple of the guys went against Scott Epstein and some of the guys from Eddie's that were their, his best guys. And they all beat him. They beat him pretty handily. And I was telling him exactly what to do, how to beat him. And Eddie kind of looked over at me like, how do you know? And then looked back. And so I didn't really change anything to, to beat it, but I've always had a knee up in combat base to pass where you can't put me in closed guard. And if you don't get in closed guard, they have a really hard time applying any of their, their rubber guard stuff. And so we were knees nice passing and, and chokes. Anyway, he, he draws with Hoyler and I call Halleck immediately. And I was like, hey, set up a match with me and Eddie. I said, tell him, and this is where I probably went in too strong. I said, tell him, if I don't tap him in the first five minutes of the match, he can keep whatever money you were going to pay me. And, and uh, you know, you can bill it as the guy who gets all the credit for the original Nogi guy and go against the guy who's actually the original Nogi guy. <laughs> he took that to Eddie and comes back and says, yeah, Eddie's not competing anymore. He's, he's done. And, and this was within a week after the, the match with him and Euler. And, uh, and they came back and said no. And then my kids started beating a couple of kids. They were 10th Planet kids. And one of the dads posts this thing on Facebook with my face and Eddie's face and says, let's make this super fight happen. And I was like, fuck yeah, absolutely. And within 10 minutes, Eddie messaged him and said, take that down. And, and he took it down, and, and that was the end of it. And I believe that's probably why I've never been on Joe's podcast. Like, I really want to go on Joe's. but And I would promise not to talk about Eddie. But I'm sure that's why I've not been, you know, not on it. Well, so, it's not like you're saying anything bad, you know? It's I'm just, not. I just, you're a competitor. It's So going back to the I'd fight anybody, and he went the business route that me and Chris were talking about, it would be dumb for him to fight me because even if he won, he probably wouldn't gain a lot. If I won, I'd be like, told you, I told you all along, you know, yeah. and, and I would have much more to gain by beating him than he would by beating me. And so it's probably a smart thing to not compete against me as, as far as business goes for him. 
But uh, yeah, I just think, and I'm not even saying I'm better than him, just stylistically, it's a bad matchup for him. Hmm. Yeah, you That's know, there was, there was just something interesting about and very contrived about the way he called out Hoyler the first time. Because he went yeah. to Abu Dhabi, wanted him there. The guy was a three-time champion there. And he was still a, a brown belt, kind of no-name guy. But somebody had verified for him that he had he had a couple of moves that could trap a guy that level. Or he had right. proven it himself somewhere. Because the confidence in there, he knew that. But he was geared towards that one guy is what it seemed like. Yeah, and, yeah. And what, he, had and what been, was, he had been beating guys at local tournaments. And I believe... He won a tournament in Arizona against Gustavo Dantes. Was that was that not at ADCC? Right. I think it wasn't the uh, the qualifier. Okay, yeah, the qualifier. He beat him, and uh, so everyone knew he was good, right? But I, I knew he did have his uh, his mindset on getting that match with Hoyler, because then he had Leo next, and Leo just ran him over. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's what people Leo, from Hoyler, from Hoyler's perspective. Hoyler was going there either to, to win again or die on his shield because Leo was there and also Barrett Yoshida was there, yeah. which is another guy that was considered to be on that level. And I, you know, I, I think Barrett was, I, I actually judged those fights. So, you know, okay. so I, I got to see them live and, and, uh, but what Eddie did was, yeah, was very special, but at the end of the day, he'd been planning to fight Hoyler for how long? And right. Euler was worried about at least two other guys. Right. Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't worried about him. No, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. For sure. So your next one, little controversy on this one as well. October 5th, 2003. Pride Bushido. one of my fights. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, Mitsuka. He fought, uh, was it Ejai or Ehi? Eiji. A.G. Uh, dude, uh, you were going to correct me where Miguel was. A.G. Uh, Matsuka. Um, okay. Why don't you walk us through that and tell us the controversy behind it. Can I rewind and tell how this all happened? How the Please. Pride contract happened? And, yeah. Okay, so, uh, wait, when did I fight Shaolin? I'd have to go. I'd, Miguel? Shaolin is afterwards, March of 2006. Yeah. You're, you're, you were in October 2003. And this is Pride, but this is Pride Bushido. This is their first Bushido right. show. So I imagine they kind of, somebody kept the contact there. And obviously, you know, uh, Shannon had already gotten Sakuraba, but you were kind of in the mix. So did this right payback? Is this payback? Yeah. What happened here was me and Joe Stevenson won the Ultimate Fighter. And Dana White or Joe Silva called me and want to be wanted me to be his coming out party, basically. And uh, I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll fight him. And they offered me three thousand to show him three thousand win. I was like, come on, like what, what's he getting? And they're like ten and ten or something. He's a, he he won the Ultimate Fighter. I was like, I I just beat him, you know, or I, not just, but I, I had beat him in a minute and a half or two minutes before. I was like, I'm not fighting him for for a quarter of what he's getting. And it ended up you know, not, not, uh, not happening. We got in a big argument about it. I end up, uh, they, they call a big me argument with who, with Joe Silva or somebody yeah, else with Joe Silva. And he's and probably not me. used to people standing up for themselves. I'm thinking. Yeah. And I said, no. And they call me back. Like, tell you what, we'll give you four and four, you know, and, and Joe starts talking shit and, uh, I'm like, fine, I'll, I'll do it. You know, um, 
something something happens and uh they never send me my contract and I'm and I'm waiting for it and a month goes by and I sign to fight um in the the another event I forget what it was but they were paying me 20,000 flat and it was 35 days before the UFC and I said uh and then and then they see that I signed that contract and they call me and say, hey, hey, you can't fight that fight. You know, you're fighting for us. I said, man, I've never even got a contract from you guys. And they said, bullshit, we sent it to you a month ago. I said, I mean, I didn't get it. And then if you didn't get it back a month ago, I'm sure you would have asked for it by now. Like, And big old ordeal. And so he, uh, they, they tell me, you can't take that fight. And I said, then I need to get more money. Like, you guys never sent me a contract. They're going to pay me 20000 flat. You're paying me three and three. And uh, he keeps telling me, or four and four. And he keeps telling me no, and uh, and then I said, well, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Like I'm, I'm gonna fight this fight. You know, I don't need to fight in the UFC right now. Blah blah blah. And I get off. Dana White calls me back, and he's like, hey, you need to fucking take this fight. You can't back out. I'm not backing out. You guys never gave me a contract, and and this fight is for X amount of dollars. And uh, he goes, if you don't take this fight, you're done in the UFC forever. And uh, yeah, and I said, hey. And they've given me tickets to the UFC plenty of times before, you know, him or Joe. And I said, hey, my anniversary is this weekend. We're, we're going to be in Vegas. I said, can you can you hook me up with some some good seats to the fights? He goes, ah, I don't know. And I hung up. And, I was in the <laughs> and so the uh... next day, Dana White posts on the underground, Chris Brennan's a fucking bitch. By the time I got to it, it was 20 pages deep of people talking shit to Dana for being the CEO, trash talking one of the fighters. And and I didn't even get on for, for a long time. It was a thousand something comments. And uh, I ended up going to that UFC. And while I'm at that UFC, I'm walking out of the pool and I hear uh, Chris Brennan. And I look back between these rods, rod iron fence, there's people sitting eating lunch by the pool. And it was Yokino from Pride. And she says, come here, come here, come here. Calls me over. I sit down right then and we iron out a deal. And at, so I get my Pride deal at one of the UFCs. Nice. I leave home. That's on, that's on a Saturday. I get home on Sunday. They call me on Monday and said, hey, uh, you want to fight in, in our, our next event? And I was like, fuck yeah. And they said, okay, it's Sunday. You're going to fly out Wednesday. And I was like, <laughs> oh, What? <laughs> And I hadn't been trained. I was in the process of opening a school in, in the... Where are you at weight-wise? I was heavy. I was heavy. The fight was... Well, Well, the fight uh, back then, 183 was their lightest weight class oh. in the first one. So, But I was still heavy. And uh, I took the fight. I flew to Japan. And I show up at one... I, 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 make, I make 183. So I make the weight. They say... Hey, you know, he's a little smaller. We're gonna need you to, to lose at least another pound. So I was like, all right. So I go and I cut a pound and come back at 182. And they're like, hey, you know, yeah, he, he's still too light. We, we're gonna need you at 180. So I was like, okay, well, I've been eating, you know, I, I just started eating clean the last three days, you know. Um, so I get down to one yeah, three days of, of good training it. Right. Mm -hmm. Plenty down to 180. You can see in the fight, it's like the softest I've ever been in a fight. I get down 180, and they said, you know, we we uh, 
we need you to lose one more pound. He's 179. We need you to make 179. I'm dying at this point. It's only like three or four pounds that I'm cutting, but I was not prepared to cut any more after yeah. I already cut three. And my body was not, you know. So here's the kicker. Here's where pride, you know, tells us tells a true story. My brother says, Hey, if you want him to lose any more weight, we need some sort of compensation. And they said, Okay, okay. Uh, so do you want Chris to win the fight? <laughs> <laughs> and I go, what? And like, you want to win the fight? <laughs> my brother, and like, I fucking knew this shit happened here. And I was like, no, no. And they signed me to a four fight deal instead. And I was like, yeah, I just want more fights or more money. And they signed me to four fights. And I was so, I, away, I was like, wow. I was like, that's crazy. Because he's the guy that was coming up. I don't know what they would offer to me, but they were literally offering me a win in the fight. And, and uh, I was so mind blown. Um, so then, just for a pound, you lose the pound, you win the fight. <laughs> yeah, that's a good deal. Yeah. yeah. So I end up uh, going out and arm barring the guy early in the first round. He screams and taps, and the ref jumps in and yells. And I let go, and I get up and walk away, and I turn around over my shoulder, and uh, they're like, no, 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 he didn't tap, he didn't tap. And they're saying they were stopping us because we're in the ropes. But it was bullshit. I had a straight arm bar. He screamed, and the referee goes, ah, and grabbed me and stopped. And uh, it took about five minutes. I'm, I'm already tired. It's like two minutes. I'm already tired. <laughs> I'm going back to my corner. I'm standing there talking to my brother and, and Buck. And it, it takes about five minutes. They get six or seven referees in the ring together, and they're having this big old thing. And I'm looking at the guys like, look me in the face and tell me you didn't tap. And he's like this. I was like, look at me. And he wouldn't. And then Sato was in his corner. I'm like, Sato, I'm like, bro, like, you know, he tapped it. Same thing. And they were just like doing this. I was like, it's called Bushido. Like, it's the, the, the warrior, warrior way. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, man, they come back over and they said, you guys are going to fight again. So they send him back to his corner. Wait, so let me just interject. So Hugh Shimoda was the referee. And it was almost like a football huddle of all of like the Japanese brass on the side. And Chris, man, it was a, <clears throat> it's an incredible moment of pride where, you know, honor is so important there. And the audience, you know, is very quiet and clappy. And <clears throat> the referee just football huddle when they come out and you're sitting here going, oh no, 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 never mind what they said. What do you say? It's pretty yeah. awesome, man. It's pretty yeah, cool. Very dramatic. Have a picture of me turning around like, no, like that, because I was freaking out. I'm like, I'm not in shape to go again. <laughs> and and it was Stephen Quadro. No, I'm sorry. It was Ronaldo's uh, um, first oh. MMA event ever. And I was the first fight of the night. So I literally was the first fight he ever called. And he's got all this controversy. And uh, so they restart us. I'm glad they did, because the second half of the fight was way more exciting. I hit some of my my Kimura home base stuff that I that I mastered later but was uh the finish was really good i tore his shoulder off he actually ended up having to get surgery and it was the same side that that i arm barred and uh i leaned down while he's laying on his back and i was like you should have admitted you tapped the first time and i just walked away and then uh i, I got an interview with boss afterwards and he's you know i took i took responsibility for it i said i shouldn't let go you know whatever because I, I i wanted to you know I didn't want to have shit with Japan and pride being my first time fighting for them. And uh, it worked out. So uh, was Kyle Uno in your corner? My corner? No, no, I'm sorry. It wasn't uh, Sato in his corner. It was Uno in his corner. 
Uno that's was in it. That's who I was saying. Uh, okay. You know he tapped. You know he tapped. I was like, you guys like look at me, and they wouldn't even look at me. They're like looking up. Who me? That <laughs> yeah, was terrible. It was terrible. I was so, so mad. So we got a little trivia here. So what does Chris Brennan have in common with Monty Cox and Matt Hume? He pissed Monty Dana Cox. off by hanging up on him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Matt Hume hang up on Monty? Yeah, nothing, nothing pissed no, they hang up on uh, Joseph no, nothing or Dana. Dana, Dana off more than being hung up on. <clears throat> So that's oh, a good yeah. one for that's a good that's hats off to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, he didn't he never brought you back though. Were you ever close? Did they ever did that ever conversation ever get gapped, or was that the end of it with that? Me and him made up years later at UFC 125, I think, is when Frankie Edgar fought uh uh Gray Maynard the second Gray time, the, the crazy fight. Yeah. Right before that, someone was talking on Twitter. And somehow me and Dana were tagged in the same thing. And I was like, wow, that's weird. And uh, someone made a joke about it. And, and I said, and Dana said, said, LOL. And I said, tell me you love me, Dana. And he said, I love you, bro. And uh, so then we ended up talking and he got me and all, all five of my brothers tickets to go to that fight. We were there live for that fight. But that was, I, I never talked to them again. That, that was one of the most bonkers heavyweight fights i think in the history of mixed martial arts gray maynard frankie edgar too we had frankie on to talk about that and both we've had both to talk about it and it's just it's possibly the one of the greatest you know fights ever in championship history for you the ufc there was no way it wasn't a draw after the first round if frankie just won more one more round and he did I think it's so funny too talking to Frankie how he uh, came to in like the fourth round. Didn't remember the next two. <laughs> just like, what's going on here? Are we still oh, fighting? Sure. Oh, I meant if Gray won one more round because the first one was clearly a 10 8. And then uh, maybe even 10 7. Yeah, I mean, now. Yeah, knocked down like three times. <laughs> it was rough. It was rough. Six. <laughs> yeah, they 10 6, maybe. I don't know. So, um, all right, so the rumor was, you know, people were talking about you hadn't really trained for the fight. Obviously, you explained why. And then in January of February of 2004, you and King of the Cage, uh, I, I don't know, promoter Chris Cordero, get into an argument online where you released some of his emails where um, Cordero started stating that even though Jeremy Horn beat Dean Lister, the judges should have given the fight to Dean based on him being a loyal King of the Cage fighter. Was that type of... I knew his emails? You did. <laughs> Why was I talking about that? <clears throat> um, I think it was in a, Cordero was kind of dumping on you online, and you were just like, you know, you're pretending like you're on the up and up, and meanwhile, here, here's some of your emails under your own words to me right. about why we shouldn't have screwed Jeremy Horn over. It's a shame that, you know, Right. Even though we won, we, we couldn't have put an L on his record. Yeah, me and – I think me and him had a little beef just because of the court with Erica and uh, winning that. You know, from that point on, it was just kind of uh, – they weren't they weren't fans of me. And I even fought there again after that, I believe. Um, yeah. After the court. But, yeah, it was just uh, – they – I don't remember that. I don't remember that situation. That's weird because I've got a pretty damn good memory. <laughs> so with such a, like a toxic relationship between the two of you did they call you to fight again for them i mean how does that bridge get 
get gapped. Yeah. Uh, because I still had guys fighting for them. That was like literally the only place that my up and coming guys could fight in, in California at the time. Um, was there a gladiator challenge or were a lot of other events that were taking place in California for new guys. So the huh. relationship still continued, even though uh, we didn't, we didn't like each other. <laughs> <laughs> so did you and Chris ever kind of, Chris Cordero ever make up? Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. I totally forget that. Who cares? Yeah. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At this point, you and your brother start Nogi clothing. Yeah, right around me and my this friend point. Jeremy. Me and my friend Jeremy. Oh, is he, okay, Jeremy. I thought your brother was your business manager as well. No, he just helped me in my fights. Okay. In, in my in my like I never had a manager, so he just kind of helped me out with, with some of that. Did you guys end up selling the Nogi brand? Yeah, to Budo videos. That's incredible. One of the few companies that were able to do that. To sell? Yeah. Oh, for sure. You built it up enough to sell. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was everywhere. Yeah. It was uh, the best. The best day for business was, I want to say, Nogi Worlds in two thousand nine was when they they mandatory colored rash guards, and we had already been making colored rash guards. Hmm. So we had done like twenty five thousand dollars in two days in a booth. Uh, just <laughs> on shorts and rash guards. Oh, that's nice. wild. That's wild. February 15, 2004, Pride Bushido. You fought Takasi, who is as tough as nails, man. Yeah. So that weight class was just obviously too big for me. I was fighting guys at 183. It was was like Baroni's weight class, Anderson Silva's, you know, and, and I got stuck in that by wanting to fight in pride because there wasn't a lighter weight class yet until the following one, they added that 161. Um, so that guy took me down and didn't do a damn thing for 10 minutes, nine minutes. Um, and I was, he was just big, you know, he had either Huge. right before me or right after me, he triangled Anderson. Yes, was it, it was before me? you. Before me. Yeah. So I knew he was really good. You know, he, he, he tapped Anderson. He lost Anderson two. Silva. Yeah. yeah yeah and then he lost a decision i think to rodrigo gracie um that could have been right before me or right after me but he was he was good and, and just big and uh I, I was just struggling man and they never stood us up they never stood us up they never gave a, a yellow card you know he didn't beat me up at all i don't know that he punched me the entire fight he just was was heavy on top he went for a camaro one time when i was trying to, to skip out the side and i didn't look in and he was cranking, and I was like, in my head, I was like, well, there's no way I'm tapping to a Kimura. So he can tear my shoulder off right now. I'm not tapping. And so, like, he cranked and cranked and cranked, and then he let go. He cranked and cranked and cranked, and then he let go. And he switched to the same triangle he had Anderson in from topside. He kept trying it, and, and it was tight. And then I got out and then just regarded him and, and, you know, tried to attack. But he was really, I don't know, I was, I struggled with him. Uh, and they were they were pissed. Like Pride was pissed after that. They didn't even want me to come back. And it's I not even like, your fault. Yeah, I was like, I mean, it is. I, I got to be better, right? To to make something happen. And back then, man, looking back, it sucks because getting up wasn't even in someone's game plan. You know, fighting to get back to your feet wasn't in the game plan nearly like <laughs> it is now. Like now, it's something we spend all day on the wall, hitting up, hitting up, hitting up. You know, 
hitting on the net while you're getting up. But for me, I was such a jujitsu guy. I was like, I got to tap him from my back, you know, and I'm trying to set shit up from my back. It was just dumb, dumb game plan and, and lost a boring ass decision. Chris, what did you think about, I mean, you, you've been around long enough. What's the uh, fighting in, in a ring or in a cage? I mean, pros and cons. I, mean, I, I always felt like fighting in the ring, you get caught in the ropes and they drag you back in and you're never in the same position. You're elevating somebody and then they go in the middle. It's like their hips are down. Now. It's like I hated fighting in a ring. You always cause problems, I thought. Yeah, the only thing I thought was a, a, a plus for the ring was you had to, if you wanted to wrestle, you had to wrestle. You had to wrestle in the middle of the ring or, or in the corner, but you couldn't use the cage for takedowns. And I thought it took a lot more skill to get your takedowns in the ring than it did to get them in the cage. Um, other than that, I, I always prefer the cage. You know, I, I prefer the cage. None of the extra BS happened with the ropes where you're, you know, wrapped on a rope, your legs on a rope, your head's going out the bottom of the rope. You know, it just there was all sorts of with drama with, with the ropes in, in MMA fights. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought takedown wise, it was more difficult in a in a ring. So I kind of liked that part of it. People had to wrestle a little bit, like have a little more wrestling to get the takedowns than in a cage. That's all. Otherwise, I'm for the cage for sure. So Pete Spratt was in your corner. I, 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 the surprising thing, like for myself at this point, is Pete has surrounded himself with just master grapplers. Yourself. Eve Edwards, in my opinion, falls into that category as well. He just never was able to take to jujitsu for some reason. So he was not interested in learning jujitsu from me. <laughs> he, would, he would teach me striking. He was a phenomenal striking coach and was great helping me. But we're in Big Bear for weeks, you know, and I would try, hey, you want to, no, want to, no, just wasn't, wasn't interested in, in doing it. And, uh, and jujitsu is something you got to love it. To, to get good at it because like let's say you're in a boxing class you can avoid getting beat up or knocked out in the boxing class right you can you can move around you can you know go light or whatever and not get beat wrestling you get taken down or whatever just you gotta submit to the guy every time you lose if you get choked you have to tap to the guy if you get armored you have to tap to the guy and you basically have to quit over and over and over uh, in jiu-jitsu and I think it's just mentally hard for a lot of people to enjoy that and get through the process of being the the nail to becoming the hammer and that's why I think a lot of people don't get like especially strikers that switch to jiu-jitsu or start adding jiu-jitsu don't enjoy the losing process no one enjoys the losing process but don't enjoy going through that process to get to that much higher level on the ground and uh, and I don't you know I love Pete. He's a, he's a, a great friend and a phenomenal striker and, and fighter, but he just, he, he wasn't, I mean, I think he's better right now on the ground than he was throughout his entire career because he's at a jiu-jitsu school and actually has done, you know, a lot of jiu-jitsu in the, in the last however long, but where's he at San, San Antonio at uh, Rodrigo Paneros. Okay. They have, a, they have a gym together. Chris, have you, have you noticed a lot of guys, I don't know if it's like a, this mentally thing of the ego, but it's like, a lot, a lot of people just want to do really – if they really excel at something, that's what they want to keep doing. I mean, it's like, like yeah, I'm not going to work on the ground. Or vice versa, you got ground guys like, I don't want to work on my feet because they're at such a high level on the ground, it's embarrassing for them to be on their feet and be – they're not good. You know what I mean? So I've noticed a lot of people like that. Whatever they're great at, that's what they work on even more. I'm like, you need to work on your weaknesses, bro. But, I mean, 
a lot of people don't like it. They don't see it the same way. For sure. There's like, it, it's hard, you know, for a lot of people, it's hard, I think, mentally to work on the weaknesses. Yeah. My kid, for example, is uh, in our sparring on Sunday morning. It's, it's it starts on the feet and there's striking and you can, you can get takedowns and then going to stand back up. There's no continue on the ground. You mm -hmm. take down, stand back up and he'll go all five or six rounds straight with zero takedowns. I'm like, bro, why don't you add in takedowns? He goes, that's the only time I get to work on my striking, you know, live. So he just constantly likes to work on his striking to get his striking better and, and whatnot. But most guys in that situation, if they get, they're getting hit, they're going to resort instantly to, to their, their roots, which would be wrestling or jujitsu. And, and he doesn't, you know, he stays in it and, and strikes and, and just to improve his striking. And that's one of the things I love about him. But most people, you know, especially nowadays, really just want to, you know, focus on the thing that they're good at instead of improving the things that they, they are not as good at. And that's, that's going to hinder a lot of people. For sure. Miguel, May 28, 2005, Abu Dhabi Combat Club is yeah, at Long yeah. Beach Poly. Would you like to tell everybody who Chris's first round opponent is? Yes. <laughs> it's the student. I would like to know how he came about being my first round opponent. Chris, let's let's uh, let me reveal this. All to you. And we're gonna <laughs> hammer him when the time is right. Go ahead, Miguel. The gentleman we are referring to here is the student of the first guy who tapped Chris out when he went to Brazil, like in '94 or whatever. <laughs> so just a little little tidbit. We're talking about Marcelo Garcia. So the Michael Jordan of jujitsu. <laughs> and by, by now he's there already, right? So I mean oh, the, the problem the problem is is that <clears throat> the at this point in 2005, the Abu Dhabis are about as big as they, they were gonna get. You know, they had pulled off the Brazil show, doing it in the United States, doing it in California wasn't easy to pull off and stuff like that, but they legitimately had more applicants than they ever had. And one of the disadvantages to being a Californian is that Chris kind of, if I'm not mistaken, they probably didn't invite him. He wasn't one of the first 16. You keep a couple of these guys as a, like a, a wild card so that when someone else drops out, you got a California guy who fills in, etc. We knew he had a good resume. Now, I, I don't decide everything. But I, I am usually the funnel for Americans and people to, to the rest, to Guy Nevins and to the rest of the, of the decision makers. And then it's all by vote. So at the end of the day, Chris gets in. He's probably doing us a favor coming in late. I did and, take it on short notice. And he gets the dreaded 16 seat, which means he faces the one seat. So simple as that. <laughs> sorry, brother. Oh, and, yeah. We, and, sorry. That, Chris Brennan. That, that right there, he said sorry. That's what we were going for. <laughs> well, here, here's the part is, is I know Chris, Chris so was a gentleman, you know, but Chris was also a guy who at this point, we've already talked to him for a while. He's got no gi, he's got his school and stuff. So he is a guy who does have to have some, some business sense to what he's doing here. And it is a big thing to come compete here, and he wanted a legitimate shot. And I remember him sort of saying to me before, just try not to get me Marcelo. You know what I mean? Marcelo was already just that guy. One thing. And and <laughs> it didn't work out that way. And that's why I do apologize to him because I think it, it was a, a rough position to be in. And I think that 
He, 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 on a personal level, I don't think he was asking too much. I didn't get it through the committee. Is what basically the, the end of it is. It was always hard. I, I'll, I'll tell the Dan Lambert story too. Dan was helping us with the finances for that show, and he had his guy in there, Parumpinha, the little guy, 145 pounder, and he's a jujitsu guy with a great top game, not so much bottom game. So he wanted to avoid wrestlers. And I think in the first draw, he got Joey Gilbert or someone of that nature, like a really tough wrestler. Um, and Dan kind of asked for a favor. I said, Dan, you talk to the committee yourself. You know, Dan's a guy who can ask for that. And Dan wanted to see if there was something we could do for it. So they gave him Uriah a favor. <laughs> I mean, they, they treated everybody pretty much with that disdain. It's like, we don't want to give you what you want either. So yeah. Where does it come from, Miguel? Because a lot of people um, do cross the line and ask for things. Okay, know? but there's a certain group of people, and we're not going to say who, what country they may be from. Everything that they want. From them, where everybody else seems to fall they on the seem, short end of the stick. You know, to. I mean, I'm, and, I'm being kind, Chris Brown. Here's the thing: is is like you're talking about Henzo's team, right? Now, Henzo, oh. Henzo's a guy who oh. had every, but everybody knew it, you know, and I, everybody knew he had a special relationship with the Sheik, and I think he was in a tough position. And if you look at it, and you understand that type of personality, the Sheik liked nothing more than to get his friend beat up. I think that that really does sum it up. It's like, I'll, I'll tell you one story about Henzo. I think this is out there, but not a lot of people know. He was over there visiting. And, you know, Henzo's Brazilian and stuff. And, and the Sheik's also, the original Abu Dhabi Combat Club was a horse pavilion where they display horses and they bring horses out. And they got to talking about horses and Henzo knows how to ride horses. And they were like, oh, sure, you want to ride a horse? And they put Henzo on a specialized horse that runs... Uh, marathon type 150 kilometer races in the desert with a, with like a car following you and you get like a certain amount of water to distribute between it's an endurance <laughs> race of like a category that Hendo didn't understand what he was doing but the chic was like sure do this and put him on that and he spent a week in in the hotel not being able to get up his thighs were bleeding Horse riding, if you haven't done it, and I haven't, <laughs> but if you haven't done it, is not something you just hop on for a 150 kilometer gig, you know, gig like that. This is the one-upmanship and the kind of thing that I think that Henzo, at times you look at it, he won his weight class, then they forced him to fight other weight classes. When they moved people, he went to another weight class, never did well. Had also spent the humiliation, of, you know, I'm sure he didn't want to lose in the first round over there. And he did that. You know, that's because... I think they were tough on him too. It's like, it, it wasn't all a gravy train for them. So yeah. it, it's an interesting thing to understand how a type A personality who runs the tournament deals with oh. the other type A personalities who are in the tournament. It's very right, much so Chris, that. So Chris Brennan, Miguel started with people have their hands out and it's difficult. And, and you can understand that, you know, if somebody's always asking for things, asking for things, as I'm sure everyone here at some point has experienced, you're just like, enough i right. can't deal with this anymore henzo did a fake fight i mean henzo did a fake fight over there in order to get the fastest submission to get what the five thousand dollar bonus so it's like the same people too. that miguel who was it against uh fatosa marcel fatosa 
but, so, but, so, but again, it, they and and the next year they initiated. It doesn't a look good. That the, the next year they initiated a rule that doesn't that didn't allow teammates, and many people sat, and that's what yeah. actually up the levels of the. So the, the thing is, is they didn't know where the other part of it is doing a tournament from scratch like that. They don't know where they're going to get hit with stuff. So they do have to react. They're reacting, not acting or, or setting rules aside. At that point, then they did make a rule where teammates were limited to like one or two per weight class, I think. And, and that assisted with the problem because it was going to pop up all over the place. The other problem, if you look at it from the early days, and I know we're getting off on a tangent here, but. You know, some people may ask is, is uh, Rodrigo Nogueira uh, fought Café Dantes, or two Brazilians in the finals of the North American trials, the first ones. There were Brazilians that were ready to fly anywhere to get to any of the trials where they would have a much stronger chance than a real field of all Brazilian killers there. Hey, I'd rather fight, you know, Japanese guys kind of coming over from a softer world of you know, judo or wherever than, than that. You know what I mean? It's like right. they had to put a kibosh on that as well. But they couldn't stop it the first year. It's like, well, shit, Rodrigo Nogueira is in the States. He wants to compete in the tournament. The promoter, the local promoter, in this case me, gets a big name. So I put his name in and, you know, the next year we were denied every Brazilian, you know. But the first year they didn't know how to do it. So... They learned, right. and they always meant to try to keep it well. So any any things like, you know, was Henzo favored? Only in that he knew the guys running it, you know? So Chris Brennan. So yeah, your experience is. They gave him an Audi, you know, a $70,000 Audi, things like that. It's not bad. <laughs> Chris Brennan, your experiences yeah. with Marcelo Garcia. So my experience with Miguel was <laughs> I, got, I got asked late to do the match to do the to do the tournament i was honored to be invited so i said absolutely and i said coming in late try not to give me marcelo first like if i run into him obviously cool but try not to give him to me first and i didn't know a lot about him i just known that you know he had already won he was a stud and my friend russ who we got in who went against jeff glover as an alternate match at the lighter weight um, was a huge marcelo fan so he knew don't let him get to your back. Don't let him get to your back. And I was like, okay. So uh, oh, the day before, or, or we weigh in, and it wasn't announced early who, who everyone had. I think it was the night before no. or something like that. I'm walking down the hall to go see where it was posted. And two dudes are walking back towards me and they go like that and shake their head. I was like, are you shitting me, dude? And I just turned around and went back. I didn't even go read it. I already knew. I just turned around and went back to my room. And I was like, well, that sucks. You know, so. Uh, did you call I Miguel? Did, no, I, I don't think so. I, yeah, I did. Yeah, crank call him. Yeah. Uh, I, I did, you know, the best I could. I, at the time, I was fighting, you know, a lot and, and uh, not competing in jiu-jitsu. And, and after that match, I didn't do another jiu-jitsu match for eight years. And and I, uh, but like, Leo Vieira was my buddy from Brazil. And I was like, hey, you know, his guard's awesome. You know, what, what do you think if I sit? and play guard yeah yeah good idea he goes this top's very heavy too but i was like <laughs> so i'm like what arm does the arm drag and he said uh, uh i think it's this one i think it's the, the right arm so i go out my right arm tucked and i'm i'm kind of posting on my left he yanks my left arm and i pull it back and he yanks my right and as he arm drags my right i threw my leg up 
so that he couldn't get behind me and end up just pulling guard off his arm drag so that he couldn't get behind me because that's all I was concerned with. And then we're, we're fighting for my closed guard uh, and I he starts to try and pass and I start to turn away to fight him. And then I was like, oh, and I just went back here, let him pass and I regarded him. And that happened twice, I think. And then the second one, he did a really cool mount and uh, went for my arm. And he, as he went for my arm, I bridged and rolled, came up on top and started pulling my arm out. My arm was free. My elbow was free. And, and I turned to yank. And man, all of the ribs on the right side of my body, I still have that. Like I showed it to him in uh, 2013 when I won the pans in New York. He's there. But I still have like the nastiest three ribs together sticking out. And it, it, it tore away three ribs from the cartilage wall. And it was loud. And he let go right away. He felt it on his leg and he heard it. And, and I just fell back. And, you know, that was the end of it for me. And I think it was close to five minutes, like four for some, but it was a it was an okay match to be honest until uh, until that happened, and it would have been cool to get my arm out just to be on top and see how that went. Um, but yeah, he went on a run that day, boy. He beat a handful of, of great guys. Studs. Um, and you know, I got to sit and watch him in the stands the rest of the time. But it was cool. He, he was a he was a stud. Yeah, you know, Chris, I caught you on the way out from there, and. Um, Oh, really? I just remember you look him in the eye and go, man, I really learned a lot there. And I'm sitting there going, you learned a lot? Like, yeah. you know, like there, there, there isn't many more chapters in the book that you need to read. And you're sitting here telling everybody, man, that was a really good experience. I'm glad I went through it. And I really learned a lot. Like the humility that you were expressing to people after that was, uh, it kind of endeared you to a lot of people. Yeah, it was a, an honor, obviously, to go against them. It's just like going against Pat, you know, whether I was ready at the time for, for that, I got the best guy, you know, and then I, again, in jujitsu, I got the best guy looking back. There are great Roger Gracie's, Bushesh, all those guys in my eyes, Marcelo's the best, you know, he is technically the best dude. And, and I got to, I got to, you know, have a match with him. And so it, uh, it was a learning experience. He was doing things to me. Typically when I roll with guys, black boat or not, my my game is pretty pretty solid you know and i catch a lot of guillotines and kimuras and legs when i want and he was doing things it's rare that i roll with somebody that is doing stuff to me that i cannot stop and he was doing stuff and i was just like man i i didn't know that was going to happen until it happened you know and that that's a rare thing so it was a it was a very cool experience to to feel that and to be able to you know later on I mean, I was out for a long time after that. My ribs were, were out for months, um, but it was, uh, it was a cool experience for sure. Did you ever roll with Cameron Earl? <laughs> no. Before, I, he, didn't he go to jail for rape? Yeah, a couple of them. Yeah. No, I didn't. It's a DNA hit. Yeah. He, uh, he was over our well, Oh, he really? Was dude that, he was a dude that, that was... Uh, showed up at one of the Abu Dhabi trials and, and won them and then didn't make the big tournament because he got in trouble. But he, <laughs> yeah. he was, there's so many stories like that about the Abu Dhabis and the Abu Dhabi trials. Just to share one more fast one. That, this is the same year that uh, Rob Khan's student, Chim Chim Garcia, had practically the same experience as Chris Brennan. It's like walking to see the list and people coming back going, hey, man, sorry, dude, sorry. Yeah. And he was up two weight classes just to get Roger Gracie. Hey, 16 seed, bro. <laughs> you know, so 
So yeah, they they did it to him too. It was in terms of like you know the luck and the stars crossed the wrong right. way. <laughs> Can't look good. So from there, fight. the X One Extreme Wars has Team Chris Brennan versus the Hawaiian Top Team. Yeah, where you got to field uh, your own team against some of the local Hawaiians. So my um, team was actually my team out of my gym. Theirs was like they picked fighters from random gyms and, and made a team. Um, and it was July second, two thousand five. Yeah, that was a that was a cool night. I uh, I fought Mark Moreno, but I cornered six guys, and I think I was the seventh fight of the night. I and I was the tiebreaker. It was three to three going into my fight. Uh, NG versus Hawaii. We had, had three wins. Adam Lynn got deep deep eye gouge and couldn't continue so they gave the guy a win and which was weird um and uh yeah it was super random and then do you guys know josh hinger Mm-mm. josh is a th- three-time jiu-jitsu world champion now he was my student back then um he, he's very very good he's a, a black belt front under galvao but he was a blue belt at the time and he fought for me um uh, guy Josh Smith that fought in Strike Force a few times. One of my fighters fought that night. Fernando Gonzalez that fought in Bellator a little bit. He he was on the card that night. Um, Brian Garrity was Brian there. Was on the card too, right? Yeah, Brian yeah. fought that night. And uh, I forget who else. It was six of them and me. But uh, so I cornered, and I literally, Chris, imagine this: the last guy that that I cornered, I'm already gloved up. With the fight ends, I run down the ramp and I turn around and stay on the ramp and then my music starts playing and I walk back out and I fight. Crazy, crazy. And and uh, so I literally had no warm-up. I was just cornering these guys all night long and then I was the last fight. Uh, well, I was the last fight of the, of the tournament or of the uh, the versus, you know, NG versus Y. Yeah. And uh, I come out, man, and, and this guy hits hard. I, I double leg him in, in the air. He goes like that. With a, with a I, I finish the takedown. I arm bar him. The fight's over. And to my recollection, I go in the back and I call my wife to say, hey, I won. And she goes, yeah, you called me a half hour ago and told me that. And I was like, oh, I did? And she goes, yeah. And I was like, no, I, like, I just won. She goes, no, you called me a half hour ago and told me that already. So it turns out I cornered Jeff Munson after my fight and walked him through a cool, cool finish and he won. And then, uh, and I don't remember that at all. I, I guess when my fight was over, I walked to the end of the ramp and came back again to corner Jeff Munson because he didn't have somebody to corner him. And then uh, when I called her, it was already the second time I called her. But just in that short uppercut, I had a flash knock. It will not flash. It was probably half an hour of my memory was shot that I don't remember. Didn't get knocked out, won the fight, and uh, just never never got that time period back. <laughs> wow. So Brian Garrity, when, in preparation for that, <clears throat> you know, Brian and I, we talk quite often. He said, yeah, Brennan told me, don't even think of standing up with a Hawaiian. Brennan says that all Hawaiians do is practice stand-up, their sashes on their feet, just take them down. Is that, is that true? Oh, I mean, back then, aside from like BJ Penn and Sharuto, who was over there, there was not a lot of great grapplers uh, as far as jiu-jitsu went at the level of the guys we were fighting. 
Egan and Ensign, obviously, were good. You know, there, there are guys, but the guys at that level, whether they're good or not, all of them hit really hard. And and Mar uh, Brian learned that because that guy who, who I beat fought his brother shortly later, like, was screwing his face. Broke his face. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so they all have good chins and they all hit hard, you know? So there wasn't, you know, everyone wasn't BJ Penn over there. Uh, so, yes, that was... What happened to Brian's fight? Brian won. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Heel hook, I think. Yeah. Triangle. Or triangle. Triangle. Yeah. triangle. I think he had a broken leg. Triangle. He did. That. He got he got kicked in the leg like really really hard. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It broke his good. leg and then ended up winning. Yeah. How do you end up in Mexico, December 11, two thousand five, against Shannon Rich? Tijuana. Tijuana. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Real me Mexico Seven. So this is the this is the event or that promoter anyway, Tony, Tony something, um, that Ian McCall had fought for me down there. His brother Brad, like we'd had some fights down in Tijuana, and uh, he asked me if I would come to 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 fight Shannon there. And for whatever reason, like the first time I fought Shannon, and what a He was like 190. Uh, and then this time again, I was really light. He was heavy. I, I, the first time I was getting ready for Gomi. This time I don't remember why. But, uh, yeah, I took, I took this fight and had a bunch of people come down there with me. My friend, uh, one of my best friends is Rick Johnson, who races off-road, racing motor. He's a Supercross champion. He was racing and rode a dirt bike from Ensenada up to Tijuana just to watch my fight and then rode back down uh, afterwards. But uh, yeah, I, I triangled him with like elbow, elbow the heads from triangle. But I think I finished with a triangle uh, in that fight. Does, does it say? Uh, you know, it just says guillotine. Yeah, well, but it doesn't. Guillotine. It doesn't mean anything. Triangle choking elbows. I got. Yeah, I got. I got mine off of Wikipedia. I think. Miguel, where are you, where are you looking? Fat dog. Okay. Yeah, I got mine off Wikipedia. So, does that even pay any money to fight Did Tijuana? Fat dog. <laughs> You're talking about a guy that hasn't updated his software since 1993 for a website. No, no, Jeff, 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 it's out of respect to Jeff Sherwood, the original owner. Like it's okay. a joke, kind of nickname because he was heavy set. Yeah, but, uh, he, does he not own it anymore? Huh? He has to because it hasn't been updated. I heard that he got he got he got paid to to sell it when they tied up the news end with Yahoo or whoever and stuff, and uh, he was no longer involved. So got it. So, so uh, but that's what I heard. So yeah, no, no, no. Fat dog slipped on me. Sorry, Chris. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's I related. It took me about three seconds, and then I was like, oh, gotcha. Yeah. How does that fight come together? Yeah, I mean. Well, you know me. I'm gonna say yes, and they they probably paid me fifteen hundred bucks or something to take the fight, so I went and uh, took the fight. He was a we dangerous shit. fight, to be honest. He was a dangerous fight for people because his record wasn't great. He but he did hit and kick hard, and you didn't want to be the guy that lost to him. And <laughs> you know, so it was like it was a dangerous fight all the time, and he was always bigger than me. Were you trying to get some payback from him stealing the pride fight from you? Is that what it was? No. no. <laughs> so in 2006. Did Shannon talk to you before the fight? And like in any way 
you know, Before hey, let's what? go easy. Like anytime you fought him, like did he want to go easy with you or no? Was it never like that? No, he always said it was an honor to fight me. All right, it's cool, and I appreciate that. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, him and his Dan Severn fights are incredible. Yeah, I, was at, I was at one of those in Hawaii when he yeah. swung a, a head kick that had to miss by a foot and Dan fell. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Very windy. Uh, that was at the same event, wasn't it? Yeah. Which one? The was one with Garrett, he broke his leg. And, and, oh, it and, was, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were there. We were in Hawaii a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think the Garrity was saying that the promoter was ringside just screaming. I can't believe I paid for this. <laughs> yeah. you, know what the, you know what the crazy thing is? Semper doesn't care. Like he just he doesn't care. It's, an, it's amazing. It's amazing. 2006, you moved to Texas. Why did you close to California, uh, Jim? So the last little while of California. Um, I'm not sure what year, maybe, maybe even before I went against Marcelo. Yeah, it was probably 2004. My gym, I had a big gym, and all those guys had been living in it and everything. And we were closed for Christmas, and for Christmas, like the week from Christmas to New Year's. And for whatever reason, the water heater in the gym was above the bathroom. Well, it burst and fell through the ceiling and flooded my gym and both businesses next door to me on both sides. And we didn't know about it for like three days. And the police just happened to be driving by and water was coming out the door. Man. Yeah. So I had liability insurance. So it covered my neighbors. It did not cover my gym. So my mats, my bags were all laying on the ground. Like everything got destroyed in my gym. And I didn't have the money at the time to, to rebuild the gym. It was a 6,000 square foot big. It was nice. And uh, so I ended up, and this is where some of my guys kind of burned me. I, I None of my fighters paid. I traveled all over the damn world with them for, for 50 bucks, 100 bucks, you know, here and there. And, but none of them paid for memberships. And I asked <laughs> if they could pay me 50 bucks a month for the next few months until I got back on my feet. And every single one of them, but one said, no, they, they couldn't, or they wouldn't. And one of them left wow. the gym and they all went with them. And I was like, I was destroyed, man. I was hurt. I was bummed. Um, I closed the gym. I went to San Clemente and started teaching out of another guy's gym and brought my stuff and, and kind of had my own section in this guy's gym. And that's where I was for the last two years before I moved to Texas. Uh, there and I opened another gym in Temecula out kind of by where I was living in, in Corona and uh, and <clears throat> Pete kept coming out to me Spratt for my fights and uh, I went out to Texas and, and Pete was living in Dallas at the time and met him and we're looking at homes and whatnot and ended up buying a house our first trip out to Texas and just because the cost of living was amazing you know compared to California I can still charge what I charge for my gym and, and the cost of living is, you know, a, a half of that, so maybe, maybe a little more than that, but not a lot. Um, and we basically, you know, went home from our trip to Texas, sold, put our house on the market. It sold quickly. We had a house being built here. And uh, we, by the time we moved back, to, we, we sold our house so fast there, we moved to Texas. I ended up in a hotel for three months, uh, waiting for our house to be done. And then, you know, uh, the first time I fought or the, the, the next time I fought in pride, 
don't know if we were still in a hotel or we just moved into the house, but yeah, it was a tough uh, transition moving from California to here because the hotel and the house was done. We got in there. I wasn't going to open a gym for quite a while because I had been training. Um, I've been training a guy named Sebastian Tortelli that raced motocross and supercross in California. And when I moved to Texas, my friend Rick Johnson set me up training his other two kids who were like the fastest amateurs in the nation. And uh, I started training them. And that was basically paying for everything at the time. I ended up training a, a lot of riders and didn't want to open a gym while I was still fighting anymore just because I was tired of leaving the gym and the gym struggling while I was gone. So I didn't open a gym for probably five years, six years after I moved here uh, before I, I opened the gym. And uh, so that's what brought me here. I continued you know, fighting a little bit longer and whatnot. And like, I, who was my next fight? Um, it was know. uh, it was at Peter Riberio. But would you mind talking to us about Ian McCall, like your experiences with him as Please. a student? Yeah, sure. He's a little wild man. He's crazy. Um, he's fun. You know, he's fun. But he was so he came up from Dana Point, also with Robert Emerson and Eric Apple and all those guys. He kind of hung out with the, the crew of troublemakers. Um, but he was always, he was always a straight up guy, always trained his ass off, was always good to us and, and loyal to the gym. Um, so, but he was another guy that he just started fighting for me before I moved and had had a handful of fights that were, were doing really well. And then, you know, excelled even more once he, he moved it, I think with Colin Oyama and I had moved to Texas and he continued, but. Uh, he just got better and better as the time went on. He's a tough fighter. What about Debbie Purcell? Same thing, but she left. She left in the middle. She was one of the ones that got solicited by Marco and left uh, during all that. She was one of the first ones to to go over to his gym. And uh, um, I believe at that, that hook and shoot, she was already at Marco. She was already gone from my gym. Yeah. Because <clears throat> okay, I, so, I was only there cornering Eric. So March third, two thousand six, the Gracie Fighting Challenge is based out of, I think this was in Ohio. Yeah, um, you fight Vitor Arnold Classic. Yeah, you fight Vitor Abirio. Now, you and the Gracies obviously have had you know issues in the past. How does that? How does that get mended? Because you're on there the first one. Yeah, so different side, I believe, of the family that was putting it all together. Um, and then Rose or Hiani, one of the two sisters, was involved as well. Um, but they brought, brought me in. Obviously, had a super tough first fight uh, or first fight event for them. Um, the names on the card were phenomenal. Like that, both that one and the next one were great. They paid. They're the ones who, you know, they paid me $20,000 flat for the first one, they twenty five for the second one. Um, and for me at that time, that was good money. You know, that was uh, that was good money. And, and Shaolin was tough. I thought he'd be a, a, a good fight. I actually ended up getting headbutted on the feet. I have a picture of it where I fractured my orbital bone uh, in that fight. But his wrestling surprised me because I had already started wrestling, getting better at wrestling. But I went out and really wanted to strike with him. I wasn't, you know, if I went to the ground, I, I would want to be on top, not on bottom of him. So I was trying to 
strike a lot, and he his wrestling timing was legit. And he got I think he got two takedowns on me. Um, I slept him with a heel hook once, kind of tore his knee up with a heel hook, and uh, uh, he ended up. After I got that, I was throwing a knee to his body. His head came out and just cracked me in the, in the eye. And um, we ended up on the ground. Um, it was he, it was good, man. Like, he didn't he – didn't Three-time jiu-jitsu world champion. Yeah, and it was a good fight. Like, the, gra- the grappling was was really good. And, uh, you know, he ended up the, – they brought me back to the court. And I don't remember what happened if Thomas Denny was – Thomas Denny was actually in my corner for that fight. Uh, he came to Big Bear and helped me get ready. But I don't remember if the referees was it a ref stoppage. Eod is because you're. Uh, I think it was actually you couldn't see out of the eye in the doctor. Yeah, determined. when he did the thing, I tried to look that way, but it, it like only went as far as whatever. Was it doctor? Or was I don't, I don't remember how. What, what's it say? Yeah, it's referee stoppage. Swollen okay. eye. Yeah. yeah. Marble. Yeah. I, I was shocked at how good his stand up looked as well because he's obviously so experienced. Shaolin is. You know, legendary name in the jiu-jitsu world. Oh, yeah. That fight was supposed to happen in um, – I forget the name of the event. John Huntington put it on in Vegas. It was at the, uh, the Aladdin. And it's when Dennis Hallman got kicked in the nuts so bad that his fight with Frank Trigg, his fight, the fight got stopped and it didn't continue. Okay. okay. That was the same uh, Kevin Randleman headline, that, that one, I maybe, think? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I was supposed to be on that card against Shaolin there, and I busted my big toe literally in half the first day of camp, and uh, obviously couldn't fight. It was it was uh, not the first day of camp, but the first day in Big Bear, which was like two weeks out, and uh, so I, I couldn't fight. So we ended up fighting again for them. Yeah. That, so that, that that Shaolin fight, Shaolin is uh, Pedineris. Yeah. Like, what? What did you have? During your trip in the '90s to Brazil, did you have any exposure to that camp, or were you aware no. of them? Because then, well, from like for for people for the future too, Jose Aldo, Renan Barral, and like those level guys came from that same camp. So, yeah, I knew them from Japan too. Like I had met them in Japan when when uh, Barral or not Barral, uh, uh, what's the little guy's name? We talked about him last time. Uh, John Hawk. No, he was with Shaolin the night I fought Gomi. Okay. Um, uh, Robson Mora. Yeah, Robson Mora. Uh, he was fighting over there in, in Japan, and I knew Andre. Andre had fought Pat in the UFC, you know, so I knew I knew those guys and knew how good they were. Um, their striking was was okay. Shaolin looked good in my fight and, and a couple other fights, but it didn't become like the strikers until later when it was, you know, Aldo and Barrao and those guys were savages. Shortly after this fight, you get bit by a brown reckless spider. Yeah. That How much like, did that affect you? Oh, man, it was it was nine days, nine days before my Kawajiri fight. Uh, I got bit, went to the hospital. They did all this cutting in my leg, and my leg has got a hole in it. And, you know, uh, I try to pull out of the fight that I messaged Kino. I was like, hey, I can't fight. I got I sent pictures of my leg being destroyed. And they got back to me. And this is this is after uh they weren't a huge fan of me. It, it took from the time I lost to uh uh Takasi until now to get back in, even though I had fights on my contract, 
Like I was fighting <laughs> with him that entire time, trying to get a fight back, and it had been a long time. Two and, and a half uh, years. How many? Two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm fighting with them to get me back, and then they say, okay, well, if you don't take this fight, you're you're it's coming off your contract. Your this fight's done on your contract. And at the time, you know, the money was was important to me, and uh, I was I needed it. I was married with kids, and had just moved here, and uh, I was like, please just put me on the next card. Let me get my leg better. And I'm walking through a grocery store on crutches uh, with, with with my wife at the time, and uh, having this conversation with them, and and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. So I ended up taking the fight anyway. Uh, my leg was still wrapped in the fight it, it had gauze wrapped around my leg uh where the where the hole was and literally still oozing <laughs> and uh i that's another fight you know that i if you watch it i didn't put it was more of a uh double fingers to pride because i i didn't put the effort into the to the fight because i was pissed off that i was even fighting and uh my my money was flat money and i just basically went and fought got my check went home and and uh didn't fight for them again. I never got my fourth fight. How did you find out that you got bit by a spider? I was, so I own Nogi, but when I lived in Texas, I was printing everything in the garage. And uh, we were we were in the garage printing and, and uh, doing stuff. And I knew that something happened. And I was like, you know, ow, whatever. And then the that night, I think it was... Yeah, it was either that night or first thing in the morning. My leg was huge and swollen, and and already had like uh, almost a hole in it. You know, from from it, it was like a it was like a pus and everything. So I went to the hospital, and this the doctor was like instantly like, "Oh yeah, you got you got bit by a brown recluse." And and I had like lines going down my leg, red lines going poison. down my leg where the poison Ooh. was. So it was nasty. Holy cow, man! Yeah. So that's August 26, 2006. And um, what was, was there any conversations prior to you leaving there or was it just persona non grata when you were in Japan after this fight? Yeah, um, it was, it was, so pride, you would sit in the hallway outside the hotel room and they would bring the fighters in one at a time. And they had a huge ass safe and they just open up the safe and set down block and cash and <laughs> off the table for these US dollars. And uh, they did. They, they, they sat down, slid the money across, and, and basically she said, you know, that was very disappointing. And I said, you know, I agree. I, I, it was disappointing for me to, to lose. It was disappointing for me to have to fight in the condition I'm in right now. I was on antibiotics. You know, fighting on antibiotics sucks. Uh, even training on antibiotics sucks. Um, but you know, I, I went through it and, and she said, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll reach out to you. And that was the end of that. Okay. It was over, huh? Yeah. Okay. Actually, um, I at one point because when the UFC bought them, they said they were going to honor every person's contract, but me and me and Dana hadn't made up yet. So was- <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> yeah. um may 5th 2007 i'm sure is a date that uh, you can't forget your first black belt uh, jeremy williams uh, passes could you can you talk to us about your relationship with him yeah man uh he was 
he was my best friend for a long time. He started my gym when he was 17. <clears throat> Sorry. Sorry. Uh, when he was 17 and lived in my house for a while and uh, trained with me every day. Hilarious guy. You know, when, when my son Tyler was in the hospital, he was there helping my wife and I, you know, sleep or, or, or you know, wake us up if anything happened. And uh, we were just, we were really good friends for, for the whole time. And he came up from white to black under me and was really, really talented, man. Like probably the most, uh, getting up to my son right now, probably the most talented kid I'd ever trained before. And uh, he, he was, you know, he was, uh, he was a hothead. He was emotional, you know, hilarious, you know, but funny all the time, but also depressed sometimes and, was just a little bit, you know, a little bit emotional. And uh, we had been in a, we had been in a lot of fights together where he just like instantly snap and, and uh, end up in a fight with somebody, but he'd stand that he'd protect me or my family or his friends, anybody like uh, instantly, you know, even more, more so than himself. And then uh, I moved here and I talked to him about a week a week before he had placed an order with Nogi and I had sent him some stuff, you know, a, a big box of clothes for his gym. He had, he had, uh, he had uh, opened a gym called Apex and, and been fighting on Marco's team in the IFL and had two wins. He was two and zero in there. And uh, just a really, just a really good dude, man, with, with tons of skill. He was like six, two real long and lanky fought at 70 and 85. Um, great striking great great jiu-jitsu and uh was married with a daughter and then his wife was pregnant with a daughter on the way and i was driving back my son tyler was racing motocross at the time and i was driving back from houston and i only lived here for god not i don't know not that long i moved here in 2006 so it was it wasn't it wasn't that long and uh a friend of mine who's uh, always a comedian you know called me and, and told me, and I was like, bro, shut up. Like, stop being, that's not even funny. And he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, he, he shot himself. And it was just me and Tyler, my youngest boy. He was six at the time. And I, I had to pull over. And I cried for probably half an hour on the side of the road. Like, could not believe it. And uh, it was so wild because it, he was the kind of guy that, you know, <clears throat> you know, like five seconds later, he wouldn't have done it. You know, like he was, he was always so impulsive. <sighs> five seconds later, he wouldn't have done it. You know, he'd have, he'd have dealt with it and, and been laughing about it. And so it just sucked. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, you know, that was, that was the end of it. Then it sucked because him and his wife, you know, or, or his wife and his parents <laughs> got into a fight and they were like, holding the kids from seeing the grandparents which is like a big old <clears throat> nogi we did a big old fundraiser for nogi or, or for for his kids with nogi and, and his t-shirts and stuff and uh you know gave all the money to his, his mom to put in a, a trust for the for the kids and whatnot um but it just it just sucked and even crazier we're at uh we're at lucas's first fight in bellator i believe and uh jeremy was named jeremy william robert williams okay and we used to call him uh, bill for william bob for robert and bills for williams so we always call him bill bob bills just being funny 
or <laughs> J-Dub. And uh, J-Dub because Jeremy Williams. And we're backstage at Bellator and the, the one of the commission ladies comes in and I just said, I said, man, what he would have given to see my kid, you know, doing what he's doing right now, it would have been mind blown uh, by this. And, it, it, you know, making his professional debut was with Bellator. And, and you know, he's now 5-0 and in Bellator. But the commission lady comes in and sets her phone down on the table to plug it in and leaves. And right after I said that and right after she walked out, her phone rings and the name on the phone says J-Dub. And I was just like, holy shit, man. Like, it was so crazy that uh, I was like, I just got the chill. I sat back. I was like, man, how wild is that? I want to answer the phone so bad. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, that was, that was a, that was a tough time. That was a tough time. And, and I believe I had a fight two weeks later, a week and a half, two weeks later uh, against a guy, Adam DeSabato, who was BJ Penn's wrestling coach, who's the NCAA champ from Iowa or from Ohio. And uh, ended up having to fight this guy like real short notice later, but there was no chance in hell I was losing that fight. Was he your first black belt? Yeah. Yeah. He's my first black belt. He's my first everything. He's my first student. He, wow. he was my, he started in my garage. Then he was in my, in my first, in my first gym. And yeah, he was, he was, uh, yeah. he was a good guy. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy for anybody, you know, especially his children. He had the nastiest triangles, man, that he would lock up a triangle in an MMA fight and he would look over and go like this. Like, <laughs> no, it. as soon as he'd lock, stuff, lock up something, I'd start gathering the bucket and everything, start walking over the <laughs> so- <game. laughs> And uh, it, was, it was wild. But, yeah, it sucked for his, you know, he never even got to meet his, his, uh, his second daughter. <sighs> That's rough. <laughs> So May 19, 2007, Gracie Fighting Challenge Evolution. Adam DeSabato, two-time national or two-time NCA. I think he's an All-American. I don't know if he yeah, was. He um, There's a bunch of them. There's like four brothers. They all wrestled there. Yeah. Well, the one thing about Adam in particular is he was the person, the main whistleblower against the Ohio State University um, team physician, Richard Strauss which is kind of uh, being used as ammunition against Jim Jordan, Senator Jim Jordan. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, interesting fight between the two of you. Would you mind walking us through it? Sure. Um, When we got to Ohio, um, who was with me? Josh Bosca is one of my black belts here in Texas. Um, He he was my, my next black belt, my second black belt. He, uh, He's with me, and and because me and Adam were both <laughs> over thirty five, we had to go get a some sort of EKG or EEG done that was different than everybody else's on the card. So they pick us up in the same car and take us to the hospital together to get this blood work or to get this test done. And Adam is I'm in the front, and Adam's in the back, and Josh is next to him, and then the guy driving I don't know who the guy driving was, and uh, Adam starts talking shit behind me. He's like, oh, this is where I'm going to be tomorrow night when I choke you, right behind you, you know, and, and starts talking about this. I'm like, how are you going to choke me, bro? I was like, what are you talking about? Like, the best thing you're going to do to me is take me down, and that's going to be the end of it. And, uh, you know, again, this is a couple weeks later. How many weeks later was it from, from, from Jeremy? Uh, it was like 11 days. Yeah. So uh, I'm not having it, right? Like, I'm like, bro, th- this, this fight's two weeks. You know, 
14 days. I apologize. Go ahead. So uh, we get our test done. You know, I get away from this guy. And the next night is the fight. And, and uh, we are about to, to walk out. And this guy is there with Coleman, with Randleman, with like all the Ohio guys. They're walking on Ohio State football jerseys. And like a long ass train to the cage. And it's me, Josh, my buddy Richard, my buddy Jeremy. And guys were throwing shit at us walking to the cage. We fought in Ohio State's arena, in, in their basketball arena. And uh, I get out there and, and they're throwing out um, Adam DeSabato after fight party flyers, you know. And we get in the cage. And as soon as it starts, man, here's where I knew I was going to win. Mark Coleman says, Don't let him do any of that jujitsu shit to you, Adam. And that was the whole corner. That was all they yelled the whole time. And I threw a jab. He shot on me. And uh, that's good advice. I mean, truth be told, in general, I that's mean, what you don't want me to do to you. I mean, you won with a toehold. So I gotta, I gotta say, Mark was probably correct in this. He, he takes me down. I bounce back to my feet. I grab a kick in. He takes me down again. His head pops out. I go for a triangle, and he postures. And right away, I go to a heel hook. And dude, I tore his knee apart with a heel hook, like just pop, 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 everything. And he didn't panic. And he starts, he's holding the fence on one side and reaches back to start to hammer fist me. And I switched to the phone and I broke his foot. He, he jumped to the ground and it was unfortunate because he was five feet above the ground before he got to the ground to tap. And I've got like a play-by-play of him going like this before he tapped. And I just folded his foot over with the nastiest toehold. And uh, when the fight was over, uh, we walking back out. I was I was throwing his after fight party flyers back to the people in the crowd that they were throwing them to me. That's funny, man. But you know, Eric Apple actually, ironically, was the guy interviewing me after the fight, and uh, he knew Jeremy and I knew Jeremy, so I kind of talked a little bit about Jeremy for a second after the fight. But um, yeah, I was just uh, you know I knew he was a great wrestler, but I knew there was really nothing else that he could do to me besides take me down, and and which is your game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was like, what's the worst thing that can happen? He can take me down. What's the best thing that can happen? He can take me down. Maybe I take him down, but that's it. Uh, what I thought was real nice was Coleman came over and gave you some respect, shaking your hand at the end. Sure. I knew Mark for a long time, man, going all the way back to, uh, you know, early UFC, early pride days um, and, and Randleman as well. But he, you know, he was cool to me. I was cool to him. Um, they pulled, that, that's another thing that happened. They pulled some crap on us. And was Lindland on that card? Who? Matt Lindland? Or was he on the first one? I think he was on the first one. One of the two was like Gracie's versus wrestlers, you know, versus Hammerhouse. And uh, they may have been the third one. No, it was the the one I fought on because uh, Wes Sims fought somebody, uh, Daniel Gracie, I think. Daniel Gracie. And Wes almost died that night. Why? Um, I think... Something happened with his like oxygen levels. I know he went to the hospital from there. He got hit with like an illegal knee, and um, I, you know, boy, yeah. we're gonna have him on in a few weeks. I, I know he almost died after that fight. Yeah, well, Lulu and- was on. Lulu was on the same card where you fought Shaolin. Okay, so that night, me and Matt came back. They added a rule that we didn't know about until after the weigh-ins that you couldn't gain more than ten pounds uh, back before the fight. So I came back the night of the fight, four pounds over, and he was six pounds over the 10. And uh, we had to cut again on fight night before the night I fought Shaolin and the night he fought whoever he fought that, that night. 
Yeah, I knew that was a that was a rule in Ohio. I remember, except when I fought Matt Hughes for the UFC, they kind of canceled that rule for that that one fight. I was like, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it I wasn't didn't, to uh, your advantage. You yeah. <laughs> it's crazy oh. stuff. Yeah. So, what was your experience like with Bernie Profato with the Ohio State, like the Athletic Commission? He's kind of controversial. Me? Yeah. Yeah, I, again, I didn't deal with the, with that guy. I dealt with just the Gracies during that, uh, Rose or Viani, I forget which one it was. Um, and then a guy, I Cooper, John Cooper, yeah, uh, was one helping them promote, and that's who I talked to. I think the whole time that's who paid me. Um, I didn't have to deal with anything at the commission except for me and Little and arguing when that rule came up, and they didn't tell us about it, you know, until until fight night. <laughs> Wait a second. And they wow. literally weren't going to let the fights happen unless we cut the weight. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. Well, Miguel, I think we just broke the two-hour mark. I think we can get another another one in if we stop here. You know, in a, our next episode, um, Cage Rage. I mean, uh, I don't you, – you fought Gene Silva. Um, James Zekic is on a card that was the strong man for, for Lee Murray and a lot of his dealings. Um, back at King of the Cage, we're going to talk about your IBJJF uh, Nogi World Championships, and we're going to go through, uh, obviously, your son and some of your past students. So, Chris. Back Cage Rage, man, I watched Vitor Belford get two envelopes of $100,000 paid to him in, in U.S. dollars. It was so wild. I was like, wow, they just paid him hundred grand cash. We're going to get into this next episode, but we had Brad Pickett on, and, like, Chris, obviously, I mean, you see, we, we really, we do this twice a week. We really go through people's careers and, and kind of lay it out. And Andy Gear is one of the people that ran Cage Rage and every single episode he's wired. Like he is so coked yeah. up and like, <laughs> and like Ian Freeman is like his jungle gym. And he, you know, he's just climbing all over Ian while, while just talking a million miles an hour and not being able to keep his jaw together. It's fantastic. Yeah, we asked Brad Pickett. Yeah, we had Brad Pickett about it. He's like, well, you know, sometimes things at MMA events get a little wild. You know, he wouldn't even go down the road. I think his exact quote was, people sometimes go to another planet. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So, Chris Brennan, dude, you are the man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is episode three. This is the third part. Thanks for the time, brother. Thank Definitely. You Thank, Thank you, Chris. You, Definitely. You. Very entertaining. Loved it. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Whoa. Chris Brennan in the books, and I, you know, we still didn't finish. No, it doesn't stop. It doesn't <laughs> stop. And like he's all right. We've hit a lot of the benchmarks in regards to his career, in regards to like what's made the headlines. And our next episode is going to be talking about a gentleman named Skellboy that um, was posting on the internet, even started his own next generation gym in Europe, of which Chris had to file legal work on him. And they got an internet argument about he's choked out a couple celebrities while bouncing. All of those things will be in the next episode, along with the finishing of his career. So, yeah, yeah. But. This last one, which was part three, really got through most of the meaty part of, you know, his, his own career, his own fight career and stuff, and a lot of 
unbelievable details there. So, you know, thank you very much to Chris. He is one of the uh, guests that every other guest should try to be more like Chris. 100%. Dude, Chris <laughs> Brennan, let me tell you, what a good guy. Like, first off, he's like, are we on for tomorrow? One, he enjoys it, you know, because he really knows how to talk. He knows how to tell a story, spin a yarn, and, and he's good at it. Like, those are all things that he is good at. Um, and it doesn't seem of, like he's making anything up here. You know what no, I mean? No, like just, no, 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 just no. To be clear. <laughs> no, no. Like, when you talk about Mark Lehman, he's like, dude, I owed the guy a couple months in rent. He's like, I tapped yeah. early. I knew he was, you know. Like, yeah, I was worried whatever. about getting my arm broken. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, uh, he has been brutally honest in regards to everything, including his own shortcomings. Yeah, which there aren't none. There aren't many. I mean, he's somebody that that holds his his head up high, and and rightfully so. Um, but what what an incredible individual! I mean, he's given us the, an amazing gift by coming on here as often as he has. And uh, you know, when this is over, I'm not going to feel comfortable not recording with him every other week because uh, you know he's been oh, so you'll, good. You'll, you'll just replace him with Jeremy Horn or somebody. <laughs> I we we, yeah. we know you might, <laughs> but no, I, 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 I'm I'm glad we did it. And like I said, I I worry because, you know, if if you want, we'll go. We'll we'll do. I enjoy this. This is great, and the conversations are fun, and time flies when we're doing it. But don't don't sign up for it and then not come through. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's is there anybody who, who, who are you through. referring to, Miguel? No, I, we've had several guys that who? that were supposed to be recording who? with us. I'm sounding like an owl. Well, yeah, you 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 mentioned Patrick Cote before. Cote's a guy that that we did all the work for, and he didn't come through. Um, Diego Sanchez. Uh, I think Diego was battling COVID, and, and you know that gave him. I think Sean Shirk may have gotten. They're like, oh yeah, I don't do interviews. I forgot. I almost forgot. I don't do interviews. Kind of bug. We'll get sure. Disappeared. You know. We'll get sure. Um, there are a couple other guys that you know. I I just worry. You know, you got to be a reliable dude like a Horn or a Brennan if you're going to come on every couple of weeks because for a lot of guys that commitment is is stress. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, you. Well, we're also these people are used to doing 15, 20 minute interviews, like. I don't yeah, want to do a fifteen-minute yeah, interview. It doesn't. No, it, it doesn't do any. It doesn't do anything for what we're trying to do. Is sort of like document history. You got to get it in groups like we're doing, and I think most of the fighters get that. Like I like we mentioned uh, recording earlier. Uh, I do think some fighters may not be ready to face up to like you know the adversities of their career, or may not be ready to talk about them, so they don't come on. And sometimes you, that that might lead to some cold feet, like somebody. Well, that's what I worry about. So if you're going to sign up, sign up, and we'll take you through it. We haven't been mean to anybody on our podcast. No, and, and you, you know, uh, it took us months to get Coleman. So like, yeah, it took us months. And it was stick the MMA detective on you, and we will stalk you until uh, dude. you have no real recourse but to be on the show. Another another person's got to come back on. Brad Pickett. Drew Fickett. You know what? I'll call Drew. Yeah, that, that's actually not true. That's on me. You know, Drew, uh, Drew is somebody. The, the that, Fickett uh, Pickett is, is a little bit before some of the recent growth. So if you miss those podcasts, go back and get them. Those guys are going to be back on for the other part of their career. And 
They're very well worth it. But, but what about done, wait, wait? I know we're, we're, we're reminiscing about those much as you're talking about Chris Brennan. Everybody, Chel Sonnen, we were told to go 30 minutes with the guy, you know, by the person that lined it up for us. Chris Lido and Miguel instructed me to keep going until he hangs up on us. So you guys, you guys gotta watch it to the end. It's so friggin' funny. He makes up like he's got a phone call that he's gotta take and it's very important. And we still get two more questions in. <laughs> yeah. So 90 and minutes. Chill, and Chill's a guy, you know, who's not sitting there kind of, you know, waiting for the next class in his gym and you know, <laughs> lifting weights and spe- you know, he's a guy who's got a schedule and is doing stuff and usually monetizing, right? So just 90 minutes out of him is 90 minutes less money he made. But <laughs> dude, we it's like we went into somebody's house as a guest and went through the refrigerator with Chell. That's what we did. <laughs> so yeah, Chell. Chell, I think, didn't even realize it until, you know, he realized he had to make excuses. But thank you, Yeah, Chill. yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Brennan. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, betdsi.eu, $1,000. Uh, I don't know if I gave this already. We'll use the lights on promo up to $1,000 deposit. You get half your cash, um, half additional cash, 50% additional deposit by using the promo code lights out, betdsi.eu. Abu Dhabi Jiu-Jitsu Pro is coming to Orlando. Please sign up on Smooth Cap. And with that, my friend, I'll see you at the next interview. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.